And now it's time to bait our hooks, cast our nets, drop our poles in the water, and fish for some jokes with Down on the Dock. Welcome to episode 32 of Down on the Docks. My name's Chris Neff, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Dave Sarah. How you doing, buddy? Hello. That's what I like to hear. Uh, guys, welcome to the show. Of course, if you're for, uh, joining us for the first time, we invite you to find us on our social media accounts. You can find us on uh, Down on the Docks at... Uh, uh, <laughs> gmail.com docs at gmail.com actually you can social, find us you but... can find us everywhere on down on the docks except for instagram where we're down on the docks pod at and then uh gmail is going to be down on the docks at gmail.com okay. i almost said down on the docks pod at gmail.com down on the docks pod is only for instagram, instagram. Yes, yes, yeah. yes 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 so uh guys thank you for listening last week we had a lot of fun responses for uh class action park Great episode. The memery was out of control. Out of there control, were so many man. memes, I couldn't even get them up. I know. Uh, I oh, have the powder. Yeah, I have the powder was the running joke. See, it worked. It ended up working. It took yeah. me time. It took a couple minutes, but we got it. But you got there. Um, so, at, and, and actually, what's funny is that, like, we didn't even get, like, I needed to preface it anyway. Like, first, I was like, well, if there was cocaine, then it was, I have the powder. So, it wasn't even, like, pertinent to the to the joke but he, me, there goes me just you know fucking my whole joke up anyway yeah you know you could have left it where it was yeah. good lo- with I last never episode that. and then you just drug it into this one yeah drug is the right word <laughs> dave could you tell our listeners what they can do to help us out around here sure we go to apple podcasts and or anchor.fm which actually now has been branded to spotify podcasts yeah so spotify podcasts or apple podcasts and leave a five-star review even tell us if you hate us in the five-star review that's fine this week's episode of Down the Docks is brought to you by Broccoli Farms, established 2016 in San Diego, California by cannabis entrepreneur Anthony Bird. Broccoli Farms is a modern take on cannabis brands around the world. By combining new terminology involving cannabis worldwide, Anthony created a cannabis brand that uniquely represents the entire cannabis industry as one, Broccoli Farms. The lowest delivery minimum in San Diego, fair prices and quality products makes Broccoli Farm one of the best deliveries in San Diego for almost a decade. Be sure to mention Down on the Docks podcast for 15% off your next order, along with FTP gifts and, fruit and What's rewards. What's FTP? FTP is first-time patient. Oh, okay. Yeah. Check them out today on Instagram at broccolifarm619. So that's Down on the Docks pot. Well, Down on the Docks for your um, 15% for FTP. Your 15%, baby. Okay. Um, well, let's get into this week's episode, let's shall we? Um, it's called Being Evil. Cool. What do you think it's about, Dave? Being evil. And um, sex, drugs, magic. What is that? You're close. We can always get, go back to the, ro- to the Red Hot Chili Peppers album. Being evil. Sex, drugs, magic. Is a documentary Something. on the life of Daredevil, Evil Knievel. Wow. Yes. So from Class Action Park uh-huh. to Evil Knievel. That's how what? I got there. Evil Knievel seems like he would have loved Class Action Park. Oh, yes. He would have rode his motorcycle down those water slides without water on him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Being yeah. Evil, directed by Daniel uh, Jung, uh, released in 2015. 
Mm. Uh, you can watch it now if you want. Um, I got a free viewing of it by uh, subscribing to the History Vault channel wow. for one week. Wow. And Good you job. can watch it there. Now, and do you when you uh, subscribe to these yeah. things, you put them in your thing, like cancel in seven days? Oh, yeah. Me too. Yeah, I just put the little note on my calendar, cancel by Monday. I give myself a day's notice. Yeah, me too. It's the way to go. You can it just is. hop around. It's for, so good forever. hopping. When you're it's when so it, good when you know hopping. when you know you're good at canceling uh -huh. this shit and you have a working credit card yeah. with at least four dollars on it. Well, they came you can, out. You do so much. They came out with an app for all these stoners. I know. And well, it's like, hey, did you forget to uh, cancel your uh, subscription? Well, not anymore. Just pay us nine ninety nine a month. You get to pay you. for it, dude. Yeah, of course. What up, dude? Fuck that. I thought something like that would be where you don't have to pay for it. I love it. Uh, because you know stoners are just like, wow, what a great idea. You know, like, you know those games where literally the entire rim of the game is our ads, essentially. Yes. Yes. Just do that and yes. be done with it. Okay, well, let's get into it. Um, the frame of ads. Being Evil starts with a, uh, a vintage uh, television program called The Tonight Show. I'm sure you're well of it. Yes. Well aware of it. And uh, of course, we see Johnny Carson on the there. The hackiest, I mean, as... And at right this second, yeah. Johnny Carson is the hackiest uh, impression to do, just so you know. Well, I have to do it. I'm just saying, okay. just so you know. Okay. Well, he says uh, evil can of evil. Course. <laughs> of course. He's probably the only man in history. Who's, probably. Who's, probably is a good one, too. He always says probably. Probably. Uh, only man in history who's become really wealthy by trying to kill himself. It's true. He is uh, somewhat of a legend. He does incredible stunts with motorcycles, and he's broken, I, I guess, more more bones <laughs> in uh, the history of just about anybody, and yet he keeps doing this. So let's let's meet this gentleman, shall we? Okay, hold on. Yeah. Um, how many things can we? How many people can we offend by saying he breaks more bones than? Okay, never mind. Anyway, here he is, everybody. Uh, evil, uh, can evil? Yes, put the uh in the middle of evil and not, can that's evil. That's just even? me doing okay. the impression. God. And my impression, by the way, is not Johnny Carson. It's Dana Carvey doing, doing Johnny, Johnny Carson. Carson exactly. Okay. So we see evil walk out onto the stage, pimp fur coat. He has a cane, Sick. but it's not a cane because he's hurt. It's a pimp cane. <laughs> yeah. So, it's, a it's it's a non-functional. I mean, it's functionally non-functional. I, I want something cool to come out of it. Like I want it to turn into like a pogo stick and him jump over something. Well, Johnny Knoxville is a big part of this documentary too. Ah, two weeks of Knoxville. Yeah. So he says, you know, look, I grew up in the '70s, and Evil Knievel was the '70s. He captured my attention like nobody else. And of course, Johnny says, some of you may have uh, seen this film before. <laughs> This is you're a cracking uh, yourself up with your own fuck because you're because you're imagining Dana Carvey. Yeah. That's why this uh, this is wild stuff. <laughs> this uh, this is wacky. <laughs> Prepare yourselves at home, folks. Uh, for uh, you might avert the children's eyes at this point. Uh, this is a jump uh, you made at Caesar's Palace. Now, why don't you tell us what happened? Well, Knievel, he says the motorcycle landed short. Ripped the handlebars out of my hands, and I bounced for 60 yards in, in the dunes parking lot. Saw it. Yeah, we see this. It's ugly, dude. Hey, he bounces. He, he, he bounces. He just, but not only does he bounce, but then he slides on the oh, pavement yeah, for a good, you know, it looks like 60 yards. Yeah. Carson's like, God, you are incredible. That is wild stuff. Yeah. <laughs> 
The ramps were a lot smaller back then. Not dude. only that, you see them, they're like plywood. They're shitty. You could see like a nail hanging yeah, out of the bottom. Those like, landing, even though like nowadays, you have it's nice marketing how they do it. Cause you have a you kind of have like a small, skinny-ish takeoff ramp, but your landing ramp is gigantic. Right. Like, and it's fuck, you know, it's huge. Yeah. And it's got miles of padding and shit, and you know, yeah, it's so professionally it's professionally done. done. They yeah. didn't really no, do no, anything. No. They didn't do any of that shit. They had mobsters doing that shit back then. Well, Knoxville says I always thought of him as a deer. This though. fucking guinea's gonna die. Let me tell you. Um, he says he thought of uh, of him as a superhero. Um, yeah, because nobody had done what yeah, he'd been yeah, doing. Yeah, and since then, I mean, we live in a different age now, where it's very commonplace. But, sure. You know, he says he paved the way. He he did with his he, fucking back. He inspired it with a road know, rash. And he says there will never be another evil. Right. And I agree. Yeah. Well, evil says, I know I've been called a lot of things by a lot of people, a crazy man or a con man. But when you head down that long white line, you better have made your peace with God. Oh, boy. That's and what I think. Better, every weekend. And you better know what you're doing because a con man ain't going to get there. That's right. Well, Johnny says, I didn't know evil's story, and it turns out it's pretty complex. So we're going to start with a news, uh, news reporter, and uh, they break in with some vintage coverage, and they inform us that a California judge has ordered motorcycle stuntman Evil Knievel to serve out the rest of his jail sentence behind bars. Hmm. Now, I didn't ever know anything. I never knew you went to jail. Well, Knoxville says, I'm a grown-ass man, and some of the stuff surrounding evil <laughs> is tough to reconcile. It's crazy. It's just faster fast and disaster so we open up we hear t-rex's 20th century boy in the background you know that song mm. friends it's fine friends uh, yeah. yeah it's that uh, okay and then titles come up and then we fade in to 1970s hollywood we see the hollywood sign it's smoggy and we're introduced to a gentleman by the name of shelly saltman what do you think he's gonna do for a job with a name like shelly saltman <laughs> fucking dude he is a, uh, a promoter. Uh, yeah, uh, real greaseball shit. He was a, a member of the Sportscasters Association of L.A., and they do these monthly meetings uh, on a Thursday at a place called Red Tractons. <laughs> we also meet a gentleman by the name of Tom Kelly. Uh, he said everybody went there. You know, you see Tommy Lasorda there. Billie Jean King, Muhammad Ali, before he was Cassius Clay, mm -hmm. uh, and they were the you know legitimate athletes wait in their chosen professions. Wait, wait, Muhammad mm -hmm. Ali mm -hmm. before he was Cassius Clay. Uh, you mean Cassius Clay? After, after, correct. I got it backwards. Yeah. Well, Shelley says all of a sudden there was this commotion on Ventura Boulevard one day, and there was this nutcase going up and down the street doing wheelies, and he's like, I didn't even know what a wheelie was until yeah. somebody explained it to me. Well, we also meet one of um, Evil's contemporaries. He's a motorcycle racer by the name of Skip Van Leeuwen. And he says, people... Wait, Skip or is Skid? Skip. Okay. <laughs> All right, I was skip say. to start, Skid to finish. Yeah. Uh, he says, people didn't do wheelies up and down the road. That sounds like a really like 80s uh, like out, outro line for like a newscaster. Skip to start and Skid to finish. Anyway, um, he's doing 80 miles an hour. And doing wheelies. And people would be like, what is this guy doing? Yeah, now I see that on the 405. Yeah. Well, Shelly says, if you told me that this guy was going to be world famous, I would have said you were nuts. I do it on the heavy back. I do it on the heavy back. 
Knoxville says, if you're going to try to understand evil, you got to go back to his childhood. So he was the product of a broken home. Um, his parents split up and they left and he was raised by his grandparents. And this was in Butte, Montana. And one of the, uh, the local Butte uh, person says, you know, grandma and grandpa did the best they could, but he was just too rambunctious um, and he needed attention. Well, we also meet a stepmother and said, you know, Bobby was angry with his father because he didn't get to stay with them. And, and that's kind of what started all this. Well, this is interesting. Evil has a cousin named Pat Williams, who was actually a Democratic congressman that represented uh, the state of Montana for several years. And wow. they grew up together. Wow. And, you know, he says we'd be wrestling around his kids at grandma's house. I punched him in the mouth. And uh, he, he, I thought he was dead. And he was like, oh, my God, I killed him. And then all, I saw these wild eyes. And then all of a sudden, he just runs right across the kitchen into the door and uh, and slammed it with his <laughs> head and then half stunned again he turns around and said did you see that nobody can hurt me wow. you can't hurt me nobody can hurt me hell yeah so you know it's a it's a pretty crazy life growing cool. up in butte it's a mining town mm, you gotta remember that that's why he's crazy well oh, and the, the fumes it's not just the mines uh but the bars are open 24 7 and one guy says there was uh, a lot of prostitution. There was about three thousand whores at the time. Ah, uh, well, that <laughs> takes takes quite a number of whores to settle the hands of miners. Yeah, you know they work all day and then they go spend their money in town. They get greasy at nights. Um, <laughs> Pat says you had to learn to cope in Butte, and oh. to cope that meant using your fists. Unlike, <laughs> you know, you love that. You fought. You stood up like a man, and uh, that's how you were taught. Uh, the Butte Credo is you just don't back down. Uh, Our, the, uh, the Seraphim Credo is a I think back that down. pretty much that like every town's credo. <laughs> Where's the town that's like, we're pussies. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for leaving. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. We're not good at fighting. <laughs> uh, okay, you win. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Pat says you couldn't dare him because if you dared him, He'd do anything. Yeah. And uh, somebody says, I remember he got his first motorcycle. I don't even know why he got a motorcycle with two wheels on it, because all he did was ride around on the back one. And <laughs> he would just raise hell. And the cops would chase him constantly. And the cops are like, you couldn't chase him uh, when you were in a p patrol car. Because, he, you know, he, he knew the ins and outs of all these little small back yeah. alleys and all this crap. Can they go to him afterwards and be like, hey, <laughs> we saw you doing that shit. Stop it. Dude. Well, We're gonna I, take think, to jail. I think you just kept getting away. So um, he just runs on his bike, gets on. We meet his you wife. You got to get him at a gas station. <laughs> That's an idea. Hey, real quick, though. Yeah. The Did he coin the term daredevil? I don't believe so. Where did that I come think from? that's been around for a lot longer. Probably uh, like it, since the 20s. Was it a, was it a comic or something? No, no. It was, was a comic before. I bet it was a magician. Somebody like was Mario Dini, I'm so, guessing. It's always the cool ones were always magicians first. Um, yeah, pretty much. Anyway. I mean, it's the coolest profession. Like Daredevil? Like, like no. Magician. magician. Like, <laughs> the, like, would you rather be a whore or a magician? <laughs> I'd rather be a magician. <laughs> okay, there you go, dude. You just named two different things, though. <laughs> That's all you did. <laughs> there were no female magicians back then either, which is hilarious. <laughs> they have the perfect place to hide their shit. I get it. Okay. Let's move on. We got to meet his wife, Linda. So Linda says, one day I went up to the store 
and uh, there was Big Bad Knievel, you know, he's a character. And uh, I was scared. And then uh, he just said, uh, you're going to marry me. And Cousin Pat says the story is he actually kidnapped Linda. <laughs> like a villain? Yeah. Stuck her to some fucking train track? And she said, yeah. Hey, I'm going to get you out now. <laughs> and then said, you're going to love me, I bet. Huh? <laughs> she said, yeah, you could say I was kidnapped. Uh, I was just walking. <laughs> Uh-oh, up. the train's coming. <laughs> this bride who tries little routines on me. She basically said he, she was walking home from work. And he goes, uh-huh. get in the car. Uh, okay <laughs> and she was just she, like she was all horned up and she's like yeah okay she's like uh well yeah i didn't want to die and she's like yeah okay and yeah. then all of a sudden I, I end up in a town called dylan and danged if we didn't get married there okay well he's got a buddy named ray gun which is hysterical in its own right is it g-u-n-n yes <laughs> so ray says he had some weird ideas how life should be lived and he thought he should be at the top of the heap uh and he figured why he did the stuff he did to make money He'd rather it be shady if he's going to make money. That was his whole thing. He was happier. He doesn't want to pay the government. He just, he was happier if there was something a little shady about it. Uh, Yeah. So maybe he had toxoplasmosis. We know now, you know, I don't think this guy's a cat guy. No. Well, Linda says he made up his own job. Actually, he started working as a security officer at night. Well, apparently he had a route where he'd go to around, you know, two to three in the morning and check out all these different establishments. And cousin Pat was like, you had to pay him to make sure <laughs> you didn't, you know, get robbed basically. So really, he, yeah, I guess it was just doing so like a shakedown just, mob operation. Or he was just going and jacking things right. from places other that were not paid. See, all these places have gotten hit in the last six months. Ex- thanks to me. But thanks to me. But I'll be out here riding my dirt bike yeah. uh, between the hours of two to three in the morning, <laughs> making sure you don't get ripped off. You just need yeah. to pay me. That is pretty fun. Like, instead of Batman, you just hear like, me, 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 me. Evil can evil coming after you. Raygun says, uh, not to be confi- uh, confused with Reagan. Uh, Raygun says the police. Good come- one. <laughs> Should have done that shit in fucking. Should have done that shit in the Johnny Carson voice. So, uh, I actually worked with uh, with Ronald in a wild, wacky movie. Uh, anyway, Raygun says the police called me. Uh, called me up. Dude, that's two Dana Carvey. You can have a Dana Carvey off talking this, to each other. This is going to be the longest okay, okay, episode. Go on, go on, go on. The police called up Raygun and said that there was a known safe cracker in town. And he said, I knew they were talking about evil. Yeah. Well, there's a cop who says it that's in this. It's still alive. And he was like, you know, he, he was a crook, a con man. And at the age of 19, this is what he pulls. He starts his own semi-pro hockey team. Okay. And he convinces the Czechoslovakian <laughs> national team. <laughs> this guy's fucking hilarious, dude. It's the best troll ever. <laughs> he cre- he convinces the Czechoslovakian national team to come play because they're like in 1960, I want to say it was. They're the, they were holding the Olympics. Right. And it was a warm-up thing. Okay. So he gets the Czechs to come over and they beat him like 22 to 3. Sick. And everybody's <laughs> like, but we, we he didn't care because in the middle of the second period. He disappeared, and so did all the money at the box office. No, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that's so, amazing. So that was like his first big con. Oh my, cousin that's fucking Pat, awesome! It's great, cousin. Dude. Cousin Pat says, "Well, Butte likes people who bounce up against the edges of the envelope. They're forgiven about some criminal activity, yeah, but they don't particularly like criminals, right?" 
Uh, he had three kids at the time. And then one day he threw all his burglar burglary bags in the river and just decided to go straight. Okay. He so, hung up his burglary. <laughs> he hung up his spurs. You can't get caught with burglary tools, bro. No, no. He just, oh, he actually f- f- physically went and threw them in the threw ocean. Threw in the river. That's no cool. ocean in Montana. That's right. So he got a job selling insurance for a combined insurance company. And it was ran by a guy named W. Clement Stone. And he'd wrote a book called Success Through a Positive Mental Attitude. Mm-hmm. So we see a vintage film of this guy. He's got like this uh, pencil thin, yeah. twirly mustache uh, on. Dolly. Yeah. And he looks like he's straight out of like Rhinestone Cowboy or yes. something. And he's like, I feel healthy. I feel happy. I feel terrific. He's like a snake oil salesman. Yeah. Well, like a rhinestone cow. There's this guy named Jane uh, Tamburina who worked with him. And he said, I think it really changes thinking drastically. I mean, he was that way to begin with, and it just intensified it. But he turned out to be a legendary salesman Mm. when he was selling insurance. Mm -hmm. And he sold a ton of it. So here's his big score. He goes to a mental hospital, uh, and he wrote 271 policies in a mental hospital. I don't get like what he, like he just wrote the policy like buddy they're mentally ill yeah, people yeah, yeah, and he's yeah. selling them life insurance. Oh shit, that's so, hilarious. So it was a it was a super record. Nobody had ever written that many policies in a week ever. Well, yeah, yeah. But he walks oh. out of a you know it's an, amazing of a mental and insane asylum and he's yeah. like, dude, I just got two hundred seventy one. This guy, contract. this guy, this guy probably saw like. Evil Knie- if Armenians knew Evil Knievel's past, he'd be their fucking king. Well, then he goes to the president and says, um, I'll break every record you got in this company. Yeah, he's like, I'll do all the insurance jobs ever. Every single insurance insurance was created for Evil Knievel. Right. And then he says, but you got to make me a vice president after I do it. Hell yeah. And uh, the owner says, well, that's not going to happen. And Evil didn't like that. Yeah. So he just quit. He's like, dude, I just scored you 271 life insurance policies with mentally ill people. Yeah, right. <laughs> make, me, make me vice president. Yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, I mean, it was a good move, but I can't make you vice president. So You've only, You haven't even been here 90 days. Yeah, we haven't even done your three-month uh, review. Yeah. Well, he picks up the family and moves to Moses Lake, Washington. Now, how much commission do you get for that? I don't know. It's got to be pretty high. I would say it's at least 20 30%. On and, insurance, and are you getting are you getting any residuals? Yeah, they got to pay. Mo- they got to pay weekly, sick uh, or monthly. So then he starts selling Hondas, motorcycles out, okay. out in Washington. Um, good cars, happy with my Honda. Ray Gunn says he's making a good living at it, but it wasn't good enough for him, and he needed to do something weird. So he comes up with an idea to get people to come down to the, the motorcycle dealership, and he says, "I'm going to start doing jumps." And uh, he says, I'm going to jump over cougars and rattlesnakes. Sick. Everybody's like, dude, what are you doing? And Ray Gunn says, my part in that, uh, the mountain lion jump was I wore a white coat like a doctor. And Evil introduced me as the veterinarian, which was a crock of shit. And then he brings down and puts cougars underneath the ramps. And they're scared to death and they won't come out. Um, but the snakes, holy, holy shit. Well, we put them in a refrigerator carton, and they're pissed off. As snakes are naturally pissed off, I think. Uh, he starts going around the track, and he goes up the ramp, 
And well, the minute he goes up in the air, he's like, he's not going to make this jump. Oh, fuck. So he lands short and lands on top of the box of snakes. Uh, <laughs> and the snakes go flying into the crowd. <laughs> so. I mean, still pretty good. Still pretty good job. And then the guy they rented the snakes from was like, you got to help me get these snakes in the boxes. And you killed four of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, we're not helping. So anyway. A couple of people were like, wow, it was really cool. <laughs> what are you going to do next? Did you get hurt on that one? No. No, I didn't get hurt. What are you going to do? Landed on the snakes. And he says, well, I'm going to start a, st- a stunt show. That's cool. So he makes it down to California and he's drinking at uh, a bar. Uh, and this bartender by the name of Tim says he comes in, sits at the end of the bar and we start talking. And he says, well, I'm a motorcycle daredevil. And he jumped rattlesnakes, and he wants to start doing big jump-to-jump ramps. Jump rattlesnakes. <laughs> he said, people will go wild for this. Yeah. And he just somehow convinced me. So I got two pickups, a tractor, and a 40-foot trailer. We put a logo on the side of the you know trucks that said, Evil Knievel and his motorcycle daredevils. Mm-hmm. Um, so we find out at this point, Evil got the name from the cops, Evil Knievel. Hmm. He was in jail one night with a guy named Knopfel, K-N-A-W-F-U-L, Knopfel. And they said, well, better lock up the doors pretty good tonight because we got awful Knopfel and evil Knievel in here. Awful Knopfel. Awful Knopfel. What they don't mention, this is wild stuff, they do not mention Mm -hmm. (laughs) that uh, next door in cell three was Brutal Strudel. (laughs) And nasty, nasty. Oh, God. That never made the papers. <laughs> Thanks, Johnny. So, anyway. That's my Ed McMahon. Um, anyway, what he does is he gets good people working with him. Uh, good guys like Sweet Savage and Eddie Mulder <laughs> and Butch Fargo. And he starts thinking up all these different stunts. Mm-hmm. And he starts with... Uh, We're going to jump over the snakes. We're going to jump over the car. We're going to jump over the... Bike. We're gonna jump over two snakes and through through the fire. flaming boards. Okay, through stuff. Okay. So they get these boards and they soak them in gasoline, light them on fire, and then his bike just goes right through them. Well, then he's like, "I gotta take this to the next level." So I'm gonna get myself a midget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he gets a midget named Butch Wilhelm to join the show. By the way, I googled the spelling of midget. It doesn't exist. I don't know why. Is that because they don't want me to use the word Maybe midget? they don't want you to use the word midget yeah, anymore. I should be conscious of that little and people. say little people. Little people. So he gets, this little, he gets this little person and he says, the little person's going to do everything that I do in miniature. And he just goes and crashes through all these things. That's hilarious. So it's fucking first troll ever. What the fuck? He, it's hilarious. So he says, then it looked like, you know, when evil was going to make his jump, something terrible is going to happen. Well, we see a picture of Butch, the little person, driving a miniature mo- motorcycle, and he's just covered in flames. So he does these stunts, and a lot of them he never tried before. And one time he had a motorcycle run at him at about 60 miles an hour. Like, he's just standing, and it's coming right at him. And the idea is he's going to jump it, but he didn't jump high enough, and the motorcycle hit him, like, in the groin, Fucking and he idiots. just flipped over. Idiot. So he's spraying. Obviously, how does he not know he can't jump over? 
Oh, you mean the midget? He jumped over the midget no, one? No, this wasn't the midget. Ah, oh, that would have been him. funnier. Yeah, and it's not a little person or a little person. I'm just going to jump. Dude, I just imagine a cowboy in like tight ass jeans and cowboy boots well, trying to jump over a car. Well, at this I mean, point. Bike, yeah, I know. Motorcycles. Right? Tight so jeans. stupid. So at this point, he says. Oh, I can't get over. My my jumping over bikes days is done. Thank God. I'm just sticking to jumping with the motorcycles. Yeah, jumping over things with my <laughs> motorcycle. So. We're going to meet his son, Robbie Knievel. Okay. Um, he said the equipment my dad jumped on compared to today is unbelievable. Yeah. Back then, he was jumping with a bike that weighed 500 pounds. Yeah. You know, much heavier than what we use today. Yes. It, it'd literally be like uh, jumping a dump truck over all those cars, but he'd do it anyway. Well, Ray Gun, he says, my job was to be the speedometer for evil. Well, I don't know about literally jumping a dump, like, you know. the it's thing. Would, can you just go you know, with come it? Come on. Okay, so he says... Okay, go on. Ray says, I'm supposed to stand there on the track and watch him and say you're going fast enough or you're not going fast enough. I guess you could call what I did guesswork. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, there's actually a way to, like, calculate these things, really, and... I don't think they were doing it. They were not doing that. Well, he starts making a name for himself, and he's jumping, and every time he jumps, he's going further and further. There's only one problem. Mm-hmm. nobody's coming well yeah so he's faced with an obstacle of trying to convince people to come out to a sport that doesn't even exist he's also in debt with tim for fifty two thousand dollars so they keep spending money they don't have and tim's like i'm getting out join a carnival yep so do you remember the abc wild world of sports Oh, yeah, I do. It was on Saturday mornings. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily remember it, but I hear it referenced all the time. They'd be like, spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sport, thrill of victory, and agony of defeat. You don't hey, remember I feel this? Like, I feel like they ended that in like the 80s. They or... did. It was probably right when you were of age. Yes. So, well, it... <laughs> Yes, of age to be wed you. It was hosted by Jim McKay and Frank Gifford, and it ran for 37 years. And it usually aired on Saturdays. Cool. So let's meet the producer of the show named Doug Wilson. So Doug says, look, we're in the business of sports theater. Sports was drama. Sports was story. And they show clips. You see these like cliff divers, mm-hmm. the Harlem Globetrotters. Right. You know, we, obscure sports at the time, like weightlifting, yeah. Yeah. you know, fly fishing, just weird stuff. Yeah. Well, old Skip Lewin, he says... Everybody would rush home from church and watch ABC's Wild World of Sports at one. And that was the biggest show. Well, Evil knew that that they covered a motorcycle race at Ascot Speedway on Wild World of Sports. Right. So he fast talks the owner into letting him do his thing there. Well, this is March 5th, 1967. And we see Evil. And he's not what you'd think he'd be. He's very clean cut. Mm -hmm. He's got a suit and tie. He's in, you know, uh, you know, just classic 60s buzz cut. And the announcer says, before we get back to racing, I'd like to introduce you to a very most unusual young man. This is Evil Knievel. And his specialty in sports is to take a motorcycle up over a ramp and leap through the air some 90 feet. Uh, that's what he's going to do after, uh, after we get started here. And he's going to jump over 15 automobiles. You're trying 15 today. And Evil says, well, the parachute's ready. Motorcycle's ready. And I'm ready. And I'm not going to miss today. Well, we see him. He's set to go. The announcer says he'll build up speed as quickly as he can. And here he goes. And boom, we see it. It's a gorgeous jump. Very crisp, clean. He makes it. 
And then, of wow, course, nice. he when drives, the pressure's on, he drives around the crowd. They're all roaring because they've never seen anything like this. Yeah. And Skip says, well, here's the deal. It's Wild World of Sports' biggest race of the year at Ascot. And I won the race, and nobody remembers. <laughs> okay? Hilarious. I did 100 laps and rode my ass off, and all they remember is Evil Knievel. Yep. So that's how he got his foot in the door. Good. Well, guess what? What? He was going to knock that door down, too. Okay. With all his right. head? Well, Robbie says, <laughs> I don't know where it came from, how a guy would come up with the idea to jump Caesar's Palace, but that's what got stuck in his head. So do you, you know the big fountains at Caesar's oh, Palace? Yeah. It's 141 feet. Nice. Jump. So Evil wants to do this stunt, but the problem is he's still relatively unknown. So he switches into hustler mode. Uh, he calls every news outlet and he calls them and says, you know, Evil Knievel, famous stunt motorcycle. Uh, he's going to jump Caesar's Palace come Saturday morning. Uh-huh. Be there. And then he calls the owner of Caesar's and maybe the guy who runs it. His name is Jay Sarno. And he starts calling him, but pretends to be a different person oh every God. time. So he'll be on the phone. And he's like, hey, Larson here. I'm a Sports Illustrated. You ever heard of this uh, Evil Neville guy? Well, uh, he's, uh, he's going to be jumping next week. Who's Evil Neville? And then he waits a couple more days. And he's like, hey, uh, Dennis Lewin here, Wild World of Sports. You know Evil Knievel? And he says, Evil Neville? Evil Neville? <laughs> evil Knievel. I'm getting calls from around town from everybody. Who yeah, is this yeah, guy? Yeah. I think... I think I got to deal with him already. Uh, I'll call you back. Well, he makes his own press is, is the key. Idiot. He's I smart. No, I love, love it. I love it. I love it. It's hustler go-to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, actors do this all the time when they pretend yeah. to have managers and agents and they call as yeah. themselves. Yeah. So it's December 31st. Yeah, same, just like the guy who represents Dave Sarah. <laughs> Dave <laughs> Sarah. Yeah, his name is Jason DeLucia. Anyway. December 31st, 1967, New Year's Eve. Well, here's the thing. Knoxville gives us some color on this. He says, like a lot of his stunts, Caesar's Palace is one of those that he dreamed up and sold before he even knew it was possible. So on the day he's there... Just like the girl I'm going to marry. I'm going to marry you. <laughs> the crowds are there, and he has no idea if he can do it. It hasn't been tested, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's not a good idea. Yeah, but once you're there, you got to go for it. Yeah. Well, according to Sister Robin Knievel um, uh, Dick, <laughs> she says Wait, what? Or her name oh, is Robin Knievel Dick. Yeah, her, she's hyphenated. Mm -hmm. She's a hyphenated dick. She's a Knievel Dick. Got it. She says, I talked with him before he jumped, and he was very unsettled about the jump. And this is like what jump into his career? Like, how I many times he's, he's had It's fairly early on. You know, Mandalay Bay. I mean, uh, Bellagio. Caesars. <laughs> oh, sorry. Caesars. Caesars. <laughs> yeah. Caesars. Neither, Bellagio was not even there yet. Neither was Mandalay Bay. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, the bad. Dunes was. Yes, it was. So she says he's nervous. He's And he does this thing every time he's at a jump. Like, you see the jump coming together, right? Well, he'll ride the bike to the top of the jump yeah, very slowly to kind of build up the drama yeah, yeah. and kind of survey it and maybe shake his head. Yeah. Just be like, <laughs> I, I don't know, know about this one. Or you drive by it. Yeah. <laughs> because you got to remember, you're getting all these people there for essentially five seconds yeah. of action. Yeah. So yep. you really have to, you know, work, you know, you got to know how to work, work the, the crowd. I, know, I get it. Yeah. So foreplay. Anyway, he, uh, he gets down 
far down at the other end, just floors it. Gets he's online, looking perfect. Hits that ramp, catches some very good air, and you're like, this guy's gonna make it. And then all of a sudden, he comes down just a few feet short. And when he does, he just goes flying. Yeah. <laughs> okay? I know. And it is a madhouse yeah. afterwards. All these people are just rushing to him while he's still skidding down yeah, this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the skidding lasts a good eight to ten seconds. Oh, probably longer because he's in the air for four or five seconds. So, yeah, yeah probably. The bounce. Yeah. The bounce. The fucking and well, then the bounce again. We see the slow motion I'll video. I'll never forget the first time I saw that bounce. The slow motion video. He goes hand over, or yeah, hand over handlebars, yeah, and then he just keeps sliding down oh, while the bike's going with him. Yeah, you know. So Linda says, "I didn't think he was uh, unconscious, but he was hurting." So we go to the hospital, and here's the body count or the 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 bone the bone count. count. Uh, broken wrist, two broken ankles, crushed. That's pelvis, the most you can have. Crushed pelvis. And then somehow word gets out that he's in a coma mm. and he's not going to make it. Oh, well, that was, was he all, in a coma. No, it was all bullshit. <laughs> oh, he, him he drummed pre- up his shit. No, he, he drummed up his shit. Yeah. He drummed up yeah. his shit. So, you know, Ray gun says I flew down there and it hadn't been two days. He was drinking a beer. And yeah, he's <laughs> fine. He's on his motorcycle. He's chasing the cops. But Being of course, the cops. you know, it leaks out to the press. He says, I'm about to die. I don't know if I'll make it. And he said, that's what he did. He knew how to play it up right until yeah. the end. And the crash footage goes viral, viral. viral before viral <laughs> yeah. was the thing. Johnny Carson here. Yeah. By viral, it goes to the Johnny Carson show. Yeah. So and 38 million people saw it that night probably more like 7 million Ooh, whatever. but yeah okay. um Geral, uh, Geraldo Rivera um he was a fan of evils and he says Caesar's Palace we see that fall and his body flopping and his head hitting and the agony and all the broken bones well do you know who George Hamilton is it's kind of no. like a B-list actor never really had any big roles and uh he says the film, if you watch it, is just absolutely amazing. Uh, it's one of the greatest uh, pieces of footage yeah, of all time. It really is. Well, it, this makes him famous overnight. Overnight. So not making the jump makes him famous. Yeah. So Everybody he, loves a train wreck. That's why we watch reality TV. He immediately hits the talk show <laughs> circuit. And according to Cousin Pat, he said, this guy somehow captured what America needed. He came along at the right time. Now, you got to remember, society's changing. You know, you've got corrupt Vietnam. Nixon's in uh, power. <laughs> Vietnam's raging. Well, Pat says, we're down on ourselves as a country. And along comes this kid from Butte, Montana, who showed us who we were and who we wanted to be again. He wears the red, white, and blue, stars and stripes too. He's evil, Knievel, for God and country too. Great. Somebody Thank, makes a song just like immediately. Good job. <laughs> thanks. I love it, dude. Well, you got to remember back then, most motorcycle people wore black, uh, but evil wanted to change that. Okay, hold on. Mm-hmm. Most motorcycle people. That's, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Motorcyclists. Uh-huh. 
Motorcycle people. Yeah. What is that? Some weird connotation you put with that. Mo- just like pe- mo- biker dudes. Gearheads, bikers. They were really more. Most motorcycle heads were black. That's what they're telling us in this documentary. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Was it just was it because it was like seen as like a. Think about know. it like this. It's like a you think about like Marlon Brando and the wild, uh, the wild one. It's yeah. quintessential fifties bad boy. You got a bike and you got a black jacket on. So mm. he's going to do the opposite. He's going to be, you know, the white knight. I guess. So that's where you see that he starts wearing the uh, the red, white, and oh, blue. Oh, I see what you mean. I thought you meant yeah. like race black. No. They're Jesus like gangsters Christ. are on black. Okay, well, I didn't most, know. Most, most, most you're like, motorcycle people were black. That's what you were saying. <laughs> 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 that's what the fuck. That's, that's what I asked multiple times. Like, what do you mean? I asked multiple times. <laughs> Don't make me look like the bad guy. Here. Okay, in movies, depict in movie depictions, there are like dark. Let me just rephrase the, the, yeah, the yeah, sentence. Yeah. Most motorcycle people wore black. Wore black. Not most motorcycle were. people were black. You are baked. <laughs> Stay there, buddy, because you are in the zone. I just want to make you sure. Were, I can only imagine what your brain was looking like. You just picture like 1960s America running around with just black. People on, on motorcycles. motorcycles. And, I was, I was trying to no rationalize white, it. No white people at all. I was trying to rationalize it. Like, oh, like was it a <laughs> cheap form of transportation? It makes sense. And he started bringing up Marlon Brando. I'm like, well, I'm trying to think. Of like, okay, okay, continue. Wow. So anyway, he comes out with the red, white, and blue leathers. Okay. And it was also a symbol of his patriotism. He loved his country. Um, but he knew it would give him an image boost and people would respect him more. So Doug says he came out of those mountains in a star spangled suit with his cane. And he said, I'm going to face death. He opened the door and invited people to buy a ticket and watch truth. Well, Geraldo says for all the disenchanted and disillusioned of our generation where you didn't trust anybody because the president even lied. Here's a guy and he's willing to risk everything. So there, you got to remember back then you only had three TV stations. You, you know, you got NBC, CBS, ABC. ABC, Well, whenever evil was on ABC covered it and that's what everybody watched. And then after you watch it, you talked about it for weeks and he was so popular that out of the top 10 rated wild world of sports shows in the 37-year history of the show, he holds seven of them. Wow. So he was really, you know, the greatest reality show before reality shows yeah, existed. Yeah, that's awesome. So he's on Dick Cavett once, and Dick says, are you scared uh, before a stunt? Do you ever have fear? And he says, I'm not scared. When I go off that jump, I'll say I have some concern. But I don't think I've ever been afraid of anything. If I know something's going to happen... I try and train myself to where I have complete control over my mind and body. I relax when I hit instead of freezing up and being scared. Well, cousin Pat says he told him, you know, I'm really good at the takeoff, but I'm not so great at the landing. (laughs) (laughs) So he says, nobody Uh, wants to see me die. Famous last words. (laughs) Nobody wants to see me die, but they don't want to miss it if I do. Right. So we see him yeah, growing yeah, in popularity. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very. They have his obituary already ready oh, to go. Oh, dude, that thing was probably printed. He might be the right first after, one. Yes, that they were like, let's have this let's ready. Let's have it ready to go. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yep. Maybe presidents. 
Yeah, presidents. Yeah, FDR. Uh, um, Let's write this bitch up. <laughs> so we see this, this continuation. Old, old motherfucker in a wheelchair. All right, let's go. He's crushing it. Jump after jump yeah, after jump. Yeah, his bones. Okay, go on. Howard, so, how, Howard, so Coselli's in there, and he's just like, and just to go up that ramp and take a look to the distance that he's got to and affect hurdle aboard his Harley Davidson machine. Nobody's going to understand your reverence. What are you going to do next? A Georgie Jessel but impression? But you don't even know who Howard Cosell is. I know who Howard Cosell is, but I'm the last breed of people who know who Howard Cosell well, is. If Frank Gifford was worth doing an impression, I would, because he's in a lot of this, but he's just too boring. Hello, Mama. This is Georgie. Georgie Jessel. <laughs> That's Frank Gifford? Georgie, Georgie Jessel. Even old. Who's I, George Lee Jessel? I'm giving you an old... Georgie Jessel is like a guy that did movies in the 20s. Okay. Got it. Let's get back to Frank Gifford. Gifford says if he wasn't just perfect when he left that ramp, something awful was going to happen between the time he left there and came down over here. Well, Ray Gunn says if he told you he was going to do something, he would do it, even if he knew it was going to kill him. So Linda says you were always the question of whether or not he might not make it alive. That's what people were watching. And son Robbie says, I would think my dad was going to die after every jump he made. Um, you know, the whole family's stressed every time that he has an event. And of course, if he gets hurt and can't do it, he's going to go out and try it again. So everybody just thinks he's nuts at this point. And, you know, evil says doctors, especially surgeons have been amazed at how I can keep going. Well, according to people that were closely connected, he did have uh, extraordinary recuperative powers beyond what normal people have so he'd get a cast and they'd be like you got to have this for eight weeks minimum and he's taking it off in three uh several incidences of that yeah, it doesn't mean that everything's healed well they're just saying <laughs> there he was an extraordinarily fast healer yeah he was like he's just yeah he had a high tolerance for pain he says i've been i probably become immune to pain yeah i've learned to live with pain for so long that i think uh, the average person doesn't you know hurt me so much and then or, we begin to chapter two and he's like it's the storm no, the, the, the drug years of, <laughs> yeah. like, oh, okay well it all makes sense now then. let's meet his son kelly he says when we were growing up my dad broke bones and he was in pain he never bitched about it he never complained and he just accepted that that's what he had chosen to do and it's something he had to deal with uh evil says to be something a little extra special no matter what I do, if I like to do it, I do it to be a champion or to be the best, even though I've been hurt so many times and live like a lot of people do live in a gray twilight world. These kind of people, they don't even know victory or defeat because they've never even tried anything. And this is something that I feel compelled to do, and I'm going to keep on doing it. Well, remember George, uh, George Hamilton, the actor? Yes. He, at the time, was trying to make it in Hollywood. And he'd done a bunch of, you know, not so great movies, not so great TV shows. And he's looking to find the perfect vehicle to make it, to take his career to the next level. Right. And then he says, I saw that Caesar's Palace footage. And I said, this is it. This is what I need. A yes. train wreck. All I need is a great writer. So he hunts down John Milius. 
He'd written Dirty Harry, Jeremiah Johnson, and of course, later Apocalypse Now. And, you know, he just said, Milius wrote this script and it had sort of a mythic feel to it. And it's got to be about a man who thinks he's a gladiator. And I was so excited to show evil this. <clears throat> so he tells me, come down, meet me uh, at the Hollywood uh, Saharan Hotel. You ever been by there? It's right across from Ralph's on Sunset. Yeah, it looks like I've, I can fucking picture it. Ghetto as fuck. Yeah, it looks. Was yeah. ghetto as fuck back then, too. Yeah, yeah. It looks like it hasn't changed since the 70s. Yeah. The outside. Well, according to Hamilton, he'd been up all night. He's got another huge wound. Kotax pads all there. And he said he looked crazy. He took a bottle of wild turkey and uh, snapped it open, drank half the bottle, and he said, well, let me well, hear about this great script of yours. Well, we know why uh, he's uh, good with the pain now, yeah? And George says, well, I brought it for you to read it. And he said, you read it. I can't read. <laughs> and he goes, you read it to me now. And uh, George is like, okay. Um are you sure you don't want to read it? And then Evil pulls out a gun and points at his head. Oh, boy. And he says, read me the script. Read me the fucking script. And George says, I gave the performance of, of a life. Of life. <laughs> God. He said that performance should have won an Oscar. Well, we see the movie with George playing Evil. Yeah. It's not good. Of course not. George is, he's just, a, he doesn't have that rough exterior. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's garbage, and it bombs. Yeah. And George says, I don't think Evil appreciated me climbing into his leathers and getting onto his motorcycle. But what happened by osmosis is that when he saw it in the theater, when he came out, he started saying all these extraordinary things that Milius had written about him in the script. Oh. So he's using it as press, and people are coming up to him, and he's like, they told the Wright brothers. Flight was impossible. <laughs> they probably told Neil Armstrong he couldn't walk on the moon. This yeah, is verbatim yeah, shit yeah, taken yeah, yeah. from the movie, yeah, but yeah, nobody yeah. saw the movie. Yeah, exactly. So perfect. They don't fucking know. It's perfect. So, you know, and he's like, Shepard and Glenn, they never get around uh, the world, you know? So it was pretty genius on him, on his part. Evil says, I'm all alone when I jump those ramps. There's only two things that keep the rest of them from doing it, and that's the fear. And the big hole in the middle. And as long as I could stand alone and be the best at what I'm doing, I'm going to continue to do it. Well, he created this character, as you can see at this point. But he has yeah. to live up to the part. Yeah, no uh, grifting through this one. And people say he never broke character. Yeah. You know, he had become the evil Knievel persona, and that's what he presented to the world. Like dice. Yeah, perfect example. Um, Just because you are a character doesn't mean you have character. Very well done, Wolf. Um, well, Evil says, if I look like I'm... They show him in a vintage commercial. He's like, if I look like I'm rigging it up to go to a trip to outer space, you're right. And nobody should ever ride a motorcycle without a helmet. I never do. <laughs> so, you know, he's he knows what he's doing. Yeah. He's marketing himself, you know, to parents and their uh the children and you know he's going for the entire thing i love it yeah frank Everett the says, real wrestling heel frank Everett says he was somebody out there seeking what most of us do in our own way and that's recognition 
And if you want to get into his background, you can understand that. He wanted identity. He needed it. And at the end, he just wanted to be loved. And we see these other events he's doing. Like when he does a jump, he crowd surfs. People are literally, wow. you know, carrying him off, awesome. uh, you know, off the ramps and stuff. And this is crucial. Uh, Kelly says, my dad invented the licensing business. Wow. I mean, how many people can you think of that had their names on products before evil? I mean, there were a few, but not not really that many. And he elevated it to the art that it is now. And Knoxville says he had to deal with everybody. Mac, truck, Harley Davidson. But that's not the one I remember. Right. And then next we see a vintage TV commercial of kids playing with the new Evil Knievel stunt cycle. Yeah. And he's right. Because yeah. that's the one I remember. The blue one with him riding yes, on it. And it because I a got flip it. and everything. Yes. It, it was like a, a bike it's and great. it had a ramp attached to it. Mm -hmm. And then there was like a, a, a stick yep. that you put in it and mm -hmm. pulled out. Yep. And it charged it up. And that's that been thing, coming out on a, you, you see um, originals of it coming around. Um, TikTok and uh, oh, Instagram and stuff they're, like they're that. coming back. Yeah. Well, I remember getting that when I was probably four years old for Christmas. It would have been like 79. And that was like the toy everybody had to do. And it did stunts. You could do he, he his hands would go on the handlebars. Yeah. It would do backflips. Yep, yep. I totally remember it. Well, I think I had one because of my brother. Right. Well, let's meet Zeke Rose of Ideal Toys. Uh, he says the president called him up and said, uh, this is going to be a really big item for us. And these toys immediately sold out. Uh, according to his friend Bob, he made more money off of Ideal Toy than he did any of his jumps. Oh, yeah. I was with him one time. He showed me two royalty checks, and both of them at that time were a half a million dollars each. Hell yeah, yeah. baby. I said, you made it. You're on the pinnacle. Uh, you said you were going to be a millionaire, a millionaire, and you are a millionaire. So the money was rolling in. Yep. By the millions, and he, Evil goes first class on everything. Yeah. Gets five Ferraris. Nice. Two Learjets. Mm. Five additional planes, okay. and then he gets a yacht called like Evil One or Evil Eye. Okay. And then he gets a bigger yacht. Uh -huh. <laughs> so he's, what in the the second yacht? All with a million dollars, huh? No, no, no. That uh -huh. was just two checks. He uh, said. Okay, okay. <laughs> but keep in mind. His second yacht so big, it's got a helicopter on it. Okay, just to give you some perspective. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, he's got Cadillacs, and then he rides around in a $140,000 luxury appointed van. Nice. You know, with all of his crap in it and all of his, yeah. you know, his entourage. His tchotchkes. Yep. So uh, another friend says he took me into his office, opened up a huge safe he had, and there was a gold-plated full-sized motorcycle. Nice. Yeah. But you know what? That you can shit in. <laughs> you could hardly see it because it was covered in cash like it had been somebody just threw confetti cash That's in That's hilarious. Yeah. He's Scrooge McDuck in it, bro. Just, yeah. You got to love it. I, uh, I love it. He bought a huge house on a golf course on the 18th green. And then, of course, he does the classic Iron Gate with the E and the K right yeah, in the middle yeah, of it yeah, for yeah, handles. Yeah, yeah. And he's got a great line. He says, if I'm risking my life for it, I'm going to spend every damn dime of it. Goddamn right. Yep. Uh, his son says he had an affinity for clothes. Um, he'd go into a store and be like, I like that sweater. Give me 20 in every color you got. Yep. <laughs> so he's pulling that move. Um, and then they show him in a vintage interview and he's like, uh, it's like the cribs back in the day. He's like, come on with me and I'll take you on a little tour of my office. 
and dressing room and show you what you can buy with a few dollars if you're willing to jump a motorcycle over 19 cars. Yep, yep. So he's flashy, and then again, he's got the cane. Yeah. But it's not a walking cane. This is my cane room. <laughs> it's encrusted with diamonds. Nice. Um, and then, of course, uh, he's got gold everywhere. And, but he was a huge Elvis fan. Uh, so he met Elvis, and they traded wow. they traded belt buckles and capes. Nice. He was also a huge fan of Liberace. Liberace, was he now? For his showmanship. Oh, his flash. His huh? flair. He liked his flair. Mm-hmm. And then here's his line that I love. He I says, he all did. the money in the world can't buy your way into heaven. It can't buy your way out of hell. It was made to be spent right here. And I'm going to have the best clothes, best boots, best diamonds, best cars, trucks, motorcycles, booze, and women on the face of the earth <laughs> just as long as I can keep going. <laughs> booze, uh, shut up there a few times. Wow. Um, so we also are introduced to his bodyguard, Gene Sullivan. And Gene says, when he came into money and fame and fortune, it's like the women became almost an equal part of his thrust from day to day. Ah. Uh, part of it was that Sorry, when... sound like Ric Flair a lot. A little bit. Yeah, maybe pre-Ric Flair. He says part of it was women were extraordinarily attracted to him. I know because he'd go out drinking uh, and they'd line up yeah. and he'd just pick out the prettiest <laughs> one. And then remember old Skip? Yep. Not, yep, yep. not Sled Lewin? Skid. Skid. <laughs> he says he turned the half trick half the time. Okay. Hat trick. Hat trick. Yeah. Three in one night. I know what that means. I don't know what a hat trick is, but okay. Hat trick's three in one I night. I know what a hat trick is. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, his son, Robbie's like, come on, man, it's the 70s. Everybody wanted somebody like that. I was always yeah. mad that he was cheating on my mom, though. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. according to various reports, you know, Linda hung in there, uh, but he definitely didn't treat her right. Right. Uh, she says he didn't hide anything, though, right. and that's probably where I'd get a little upset with him. He'd come <laughs> home with a little lipstick on the collar, sure. and I'd get a little ticked off. Baby. I, j- I jumped a fountain, fell <laughs> right into her titties. <laughs> There's an interview that he shows doing with Dinah Shore, and he goes, he just looks at Dinah and he goes, I'd like to take you out to dinner somewhere in a real nice, quiet little spot, get you swacked, and take you home someplace. <laughs> I was going to do, do the whole uh, thing with Dinah Shore. What, the dinosaur? <laughs> Instead of black people, war. I'm glad you didn't, but you just did. She says, I think I'd married this guy. I don't know. Um, I just, you know, you don't leave that man unless he wants you to. Right. So. I mean, he kidnapped her and married her. Yeah, he's property. Yeah, she's pretty. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And another interview. You need an act of government to take her away. (laughs) Go to eminent domain. In another interview, Evil says, Let's say I died and I landed in heaven. Bang. I'm there, okay? <laughs> okay. I'm sitting there in a white robe on a hard marble slab next to JFK, Martin Luther King, and some pope. Now, what the hell would evil Knievel have to say to any of those three guys? I couldn't carry on an intelligent conversation with them. I want to go to my own kind of heaven. I'd look to the pope and say, you don't belong here. <laughs> I want my own kind of heaven. Yeah. You know, where the draft beer one, doesn't make you fat. Yeah. One I can jump my bike to. <laughs> I got a lot of beautiful girls like you running around, and my wife don't get mad if I go out with any of them. That's my personal heaven. So Linda says he was cool before he was Knievel. And, you know, some people just can't live up to the fame. Right. 
Um, you know, Kelly, his son. Except Liberace. Liberace <laughs> lived up to the fame. I mean, Popper's an anal. He did the whole thing, dude. The whole candelabra experience. Yeah. You got that whole candelabra in there. Uh, Kelly says, look, my dad was a small time guy from a small town. And in the span of seven years, became one of the most famous people in the world. Um, his sister says the world took him away from us. You know, and then in another interview, Evil says, if you want to be in this business and you want to be the best in the world and you want to wear a red, white and blue number one on your back, you have to be man enough to handle the consequences. Well, according to Knoxville, Evil was on top of the world, but he starts losing his grip a little. And uh, that thing with the Hells Angels didn't exactly help out. Uh, I never knew anything about no Hells Angels. Well, he didn't like them uh, because he didn't like their biker image. And yeah. he used to talk on them, you know, clown them. <laughs> and he, he says they're murderers, thieves, drug dealers. I mean, these guys are dogs. They belong in penitentiaries. I'm glad he has morals now and that he doesn't have to steal anymore. Well, <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, he does uh, a show at the San Francisco uh, Cow Palace. And that's kind of like Angels, Hell's Angels Central. And announcer one night riled up the crowd and said if Knievel makes this jump tonight he's going to set the Hell's Angels back a hundred years well that's okay. obviously not the right thing to say yeah. I don't understand why that would even be the he's just the trying, premise. To, trying to stir up shit yeah you know okay. so evil sets off on this massive jump we see him go airborne he clears the jump and lands and then as soon as he lands he gets attacked by the Hell's Angels. Holy shit. Like, like, it's a full brawl, man. I've never seen this one. This one there's, I gotta see. There's people with two by fours smashing each other. And he's getting fucked up. He's in the middle of the brawl. Like the, literally, like when his before his bike's even done. No, his bike's done. He's, oh. he gets off the bike. He gets off the bike and, and then starts they getting just come, fucked up. Yeah. And then wow. there's a full blown, you know, incident. It's That's mayhem. Crazy. It's a madhouse. Well, he starts getting paranoid at this time. Mm -hmm. And he goes to his bodyguard. And he's like, you got guns, right? And he's like, yeah, I got a couple. And he's like, well, those Hells Angels, they're going to come up one day with a shotgun. And I got to yeah. be ready for them. Yep, yep. And Knoxville says, the man had crashed many times. Of course, it's going to add up mentally and emotionally. Now, they talk about mentally and emotionally, but they never discuss like possible CTE right. or concussions. I mean, obviously, they didn't have that back But also, then. they're not wrong about the Hells Angels. Yo, of course they're not. I mean, well, we see him take another huge jump and he doesn't stick the landing and wipes out. Cosell actually calls it. Yeah. He says, Watch that right shoulder broken right there. The right collarbone. And a reporter Wasn't says, Wasn't too bad then? Just the right shoulder and right collarbone? <laughs> well, the thing that I notice when he's doing these jumps, a lot of times he's doing them in like, um, enclosed like you know domes uh-huh so he can make the jump but the landing there's not enough landing room so he lands and it's like he's going into the locker rooms almost yeah do you know what i mean yeah because there's just not enough space right so you know he, another interview says are you afraid and he says if i am i'm not going to tell you about it i've right. been concerned but i'm evil knievel honey i'm not supposed to be afraid well Bodyguard Gene says he's constantly tormented by the idea that you're not going to make them, this one. This is the one you're going to die on. And of course, 
he's really putting down the alcohol at this point. Oh, yeah. You know. Not putting it down, but putting, no, putting, putting it, it back. It, <laughs> throwing it back. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he, they show him after a jump, and he's just got the shakes. And uh, I don't know if they were trying to correlate a point that maybe he was drinking and driving. Yeah. I don't think so. Right. But, you know, the... the well, inter- it's not illegal, technically. I mean, I Like guess. to drink and ride your motorcycle off a jump Well, on private property. <laughs> the announcer goes, you know, Evil, you're shaking a little bit. And Evil's like, well, you would, uh, you'd be shaking too if yeah. you just did what I did. Yeah. So, you know, Ray Gunn, he says yeah. I could see in his eyes sometimes when he'd come back uh, and he'd say, was I going fast enough? He said I could see the fear <laughs> in his eyes. Was I going fast enough? Well, Ray's the odometer guy. Yeah, remember? yeah, yeah, I know. And he says I knew he was scared, but he would never say no. He would always just go through and do it. Well, bodyguard Gene says... But the medicine he was taking, along with the alcohol, that made him schizo. Like full-blown paranoia. There we go. Yep. So, um, you know, Cousin Pat, he says, we'd be talking, and almost as if he was schizophrenic, he'd flip out and become ugly about things. Gene says, I had to stand two guys down who wanted a piece of him, and they wanted a piece of him because he was being a jerk. I'm the guy who just, you know, is trying to keep the peace. I'm the guy protecting the troublemaker from the good guys. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. Well, then they show a picture of Evil when he's kind of really gotten hit in his bottom. Right. And he's in bed with a gun and he's putting a bullet in it. And you see money on the bed. You see a gold watch. And then the picture kind of goes out a little bit and there's a bag and it's just full of bullets. Oh, God. Yeah. So Hamilton, you know, who obviously played Knievel in the movie, didn't do great and all. You know, he says what Evil was doing is he was always reselling what he had already sold. So how do you get better than that? How do you, how can you get any bigger? And, you know, throughout his life, he was insatiable. Even when he had the most famous daredevil that ever lived, you know, he'd become that person. He just still wasn't satisfied. He had to always be making another half a million for a jump. I had to have the prettiest woman. And, you know, one day a friend says, well, what's the next thing, man? And he says, the Grand Canyon. Uh, Yeah. So (laughs) I always remembered hearing about the Grand Canyon. We're going to get into it. I don't know if I ever saw that either. Well, here's what happens. Evil says, my dream was to jump the Grand Canyon. So he reaches out to the Secretary of Interior and they tell him he can't. And he said, I took their word for it. But then he changed his mind. So I told him to get hosed, and I bought my own canyon, the Snake River Canyon in the state of Idaho. Oh, boy. This (laughs) makes me feel like it's not as cool. (laughs) And the only way they'll get me out of the air is to shoot me down with an anti-aircraft gun because I'm going to, believe me, the jump across the canyon will be approximately a mile. It's somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 feet to the bottom. And as you can see, Pete... This motorcycle is unlike any motorcycle you've ever seen in the world. These rockets put out about 90 pounds of thrust. Oh, my God. So, obviously, he was never going to be able to jump a canyon with a bike. Right. Okay? That was what he wanted to do. Right. But then he develops a rocket team. Mm -hmm. And uh, among these people, Bill Sproul and his uh, engineer, Facundo Campoy. Okay. Great name. Sick. He said... The necessity just required 
that we made a rocket vehicle. So we partnered with Bob Truax, and he was known as the father of steam rocketry. And that was our answer for getting evil over the canyon, basically building a hot water tank, uncorking it, and letting it go. So we see evil on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. He's okay. like, well, that's, uh, that's a hell of a ride you got yeah. there, Mr. Knievel. And it's it's just like, it's a rocket. Yeah. There's no handlebars. Right. It's got uh, two wheels, though. Okay. <laughs> so it's just like a rocket with two little training wheels. Okay. Well, Evil says this machine is powered by steam. Hmm. Steam is the most reliable source of power we have in the world, and it'll go from zero to 350 miles an hour from a dead stop in eight seconds flat. Hmm. So the reporter says the super stunt, billed as the death-defying event of the century, will be viewed by almost two million people. Most wow. of them watching on closed circuit TV movie screens. Right. So remember old Shelly Saltman? Yes. From the jump. He says back in the day old when scummy. any big promotion came up, he was like, I'm getting the call. Yeah. And, you know, when I first met him, I didn't, you know, know too much about the Snake River Canyon jump. But then once I started con controlling the publicity and the promotion, I was like, okay, this is exciting. This is something I can sell. This is something I can get people to believe in. So they do a 30-day promo tour, uh, and they go to 90 different airports. Now, keep in mind, they're flying around in Evil's Learjets. Right. So uh, he has his pilots wear crushed crimson velvet dinner jackets. So whenever they get to a new town, that's the first thing people see. Okay. Well, every nice. day's a full-blown party. Yeah. And they gave out 2,500 press credentials, which was the most ever given out. Bigger than any fight, bigger than any presidential, you know, event. And this is when they bring in concert promoter Don E. Branker. Okay. Not Donnie. Don John E. E. Branker. He's in charge of logistics. Now, this guy knows his shit. He did the Stones concerts, the Doors, the Who. And then he's like... Evil comes along, and we're doing a pay-per-view closed circuit. So it's the biggest thing ever in the history of entertainment. The unknowns were magnificent. At this point, he's on the cover of Sports Illustrated nice. with the Snake River Canyon behind him. Um, the reporter. This Sunday, a daredevil hustler named Evil Knievel will try to cross a canyon in Idaho riding a rocket. If he makes it, he'll be many times a millionaire. If he doesn't, he'll be dead. Yes. So... This event, just so you know, happened in southeastern uh, Idaho cool. uh, in my parents' hometown wow. of Twin Falls, Idaho. Wow. Correct. This is where the Snake River Canyon is. And it's not the Grand Canyon, no, but it's still pretty impressive. And, you know, I grew up with this story my entire life. Right. The ramp is you could still see the dirt ramp that they built up on the south side of the canyon when oh, you drive wow. over the bridge. You got to remember ramp, huh? you got to remember this is just west of Shoshone <sighs> Falls, which is their waterfalls are higher than Niagara Falls. Ah. It's kind of a gem that people don't know about. Hmm. So, Geraldo's there, he's interviewing him on site. And Geraldo rides a motorcycle to the launch pad. That's not all he rode <laughs> that weekend. He, he says he was a hero of mine in many ways. I was a little crazy, but he was a whole lot of crazy. 
and you had to dig his courage. It just didn't seem to me that courage would be enough. So we see Geraldo surveying the canyon. He says, I'm telling you, that thing looks a lot further than I thought a mile would look. It was the kind of stunt where you would actually see probably a guy kill himself. Wow. It was audacious. It was daring. It was almost impossible in many ways, but for his confidence. So Geraldo has an interview with him, and he says, what about the G-forces? I mean, when you start something that's going to be going 350 miles an hour, aren't you going to get knocked out? And he goes, yes, I'll wake up, see the other side of the ground way over there, wherever the hell I'm at, and I'll pull the ripcord and open a parachute behind the sky cycle. Amazing. So Geraldo says, are you going to, wait a minute, are you saying that you're going to be unconscious when you're in the air? And Evil says, well, to 2,000 feet. Yeah, probably. Wow, that's fucking nuts. Yeah. So, that's fucking crazy. So Geraldo, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen this. Maybe well, I have. Geraldo says, so that means you have to regain consciousness. And Evil's like, yeah, that's right, but I can do it. Okay. So keep in mind, guy's got no training. Yeah. Okay. Uh, never had any G-force centrifuge training or even like airplane, zero parachute experience. What, what he had was a dead stick where it was like the spring-loaded device. Okay. And if he passed out and let go of the handle, the parachute would automatically deploy. Okay. So they show us one of the test rocket launches. It does yeah. not go very well. Oh, all right. So Geraldo, what, ha- what happens in the test? I'm going to explain. Geraldo explains there were actually three of the steam-powered sky cycles built. The original, called the X-1, was tested without a pilot three weeks ago, and it ended up in the bottom of the canyon. Not good. So it just kind of goes, and doesn't go very far, and yeah. then just goes straight down. Straight down. Okay. Well, Evil says that was a test shot. Yeah. We made some mistakes. Right. Okay. If I'd have been in it, I'd have ended up dead. But I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen. Well, but yeah, the parachute's still. Right. But keep in mind, the parachute's not attached to him. It's attached to the machine. Oh, no. Yeah. So what the press didn't know was that it was purposefully designed to oh, fail. Oh, shit. Yes. Smarty smart. Yes. Smart. They underpowered the rocket so it wouldn't make it to the other side. So he it was all promo. He's, he, want, he, he wanted it to crash in the water and let people see, you know, what was probably most likely going to happen. Now, they did convince Evil to do a real test, but he'd only do it if it was done in secret so the press wouldn't get any pictures of it. Right. So they thought it would make it, but there was a problem with the parachute. It deployed early again, and it also landed in the middle of the river. Oh, Okay, now keep in mind, this isn't like a a one day event. Yeah. They're on. They're building the ramp. Yeah. In this, uh, Twin Falls, Idaho, at the time, probably had twenty five thousand people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, everybody's working there. He's got a crew with him. Yeah, everybody's. You know, they're tinkering. They're at stuff. the diners yeah. and they're talking about it. It's everybody's talking about it. And keep in mind, it's pay per view. Right. So Knievel, this is I'm Shelley. here at Queen. <laughs> Keep going. Knievel, uh, Shelley's talking about Knievel, and he said, he saw that. I saw it, and I was wondering at the time, did I just get myself into something that's morally not a good idea? Do you know what I mean? 
but you had to give him credit because he was going to go through with it no matter what. Well, Donnie Branker says at this point, we're batting, you know, zero for two and the world's watching us. We can't even get the rocket across the canyon. <laughs> so what is what happens to King Evil? He turns into a surly bitch. Because they're doing pressers like every day. Yeah. And he's sparking out orders. He's belittling people. And he was just mean. And about a week out is when things got out of control with the press. So you got to remember, the press has flown in. They're living in this small town as well. And Evil holds a press conference and he says, do, do me one favor. Do one thing for me. I do not ask for your respect. I demand it. And then somebody says, somebody says, why don't you just have him stand up so we can see him? And there's this huge crowd of people there. And Evil heard that and came out. And he goes, I'm not an actor, Mr. Cameraman. Do you understand that? I said, have a smile on your face. Cameraman's like, I didn't smile at anybody. And he's like, all right, get him out of here. Get him out. Get him out. <laughs> Ban this troll. Get him out. And the camera, <laughs> he goes, well, that's when he came down the stairs with this cane. And he grabbed my camera. And he's a pretty strong guy. And he grabbed my camera and started pushing me back and whacking me at the same time with his cane. So then he's got to hold another press conference to address him beating up the cameraman. <laughs> All right. It sounds like a skit almost. Yeah. And they're like, dude, are you going to apologize to the cameraman for roughing him up? And he says, I wouldn't apologize. If I see that little son of a bitch again, I'll throw him out of here. How's that? And the guy's like, well, I think you should apologize. And he goes, I want to straighten you out right now. Number one. You want the cane? No. Number, <laughs> number one. <laughs> I was in the sky cycle all day. Yeah. Number two. I'm a little crazy already. Number two, you're a guest of mine in this press area. Ooh. Do you understand that? And so was he. Now, number three, when I've been up there all day and all the blood's come out of my legs and my feet and gone to my head and I come down and I want to get rest and get along with you people, you do not tell me to come out and stand up and smile. If I want to come out and try and get along with you, you should at least allow me to sit down and smile. Yeah. So I tell him, I said, kiss my ass. Yeah. Well, these people are kind of being like, this guy's a jerk. Like, why are we, why are we still putting up with this crap? And then he comes out and another time he goes, the rest of the press. Well, guess what? This press conference is over now. <laughs> yeah. You know, how do you feel about that? Take your ball and go home. Yeah. I'm going to take my ramp and go home. Well, things really start to get crazy because every biker in the United States that didn't have a job was there. Wow. Okay. We're talking about the San Mateo executioners. Oh. The Galloping Goose Gang. <laughs> the Dagos. The Straight Satans. <laughs> and of course, the Hells Angels. Straight Satans, huh? Yep. You had to tell them you're straight. This is what I saw. I just read the, the badges. Hey, hey, don't be a guy biker gang if you got goose in your name. Yeah, I thought that was a little odd. The Galloping Goose Gang? The Galloping Sounds Goose Gang. Sounds a little soft. Yeah, it's a little Liberace. Well, they, they describe this experience as Woodstock, but the evil twin of Woodstock. You ain't seeing happy flower children out here in the rain. They're rough. Well, They're didn't... Um, didn't Hell's Angels, weren't they part of what's Altamont? You're thinking Altamont Speedway. Yeah. Okay. Um, Brothers and sisters. That's uh, Rolling Stones. Brothers and sisters, we must not fight. 
Yeah. And the Hells Angels are just starting fights. With yeah, people well, they hired them as security. As security, as well, yeah. Which is exactly what these guys end up doing, which is probably not the best <laughs> Smarting, idea. Smart, though. You're like, let's, let's just uh, let's bribe them. Well, keep in mind, people are drinking. They're camping there, okay? They're fucking in public. Sounds All right? like the, uh, the outside of American you, pain. You see women running around naked. Wow. This Now, here's the thing. This was tricky to me because... He makes a jump on a Sunday. Whether or not he makes it, we'll get to that. But I'm thinking, how long were they out there? And I, I went to my family to ask. My mom said she couldn't remember. My stepmother said they were out there for like a good month or two. But towards the last weekend, the, it just kept building. And people were just like camping and living there on the edge of this massive canyon. Yeah. So people are getting pent up. It's not just him. People, there's a there's a palpable tension in the air, and you got guys selling running around selling roach clips, and he's like reefers, hash pipes, come get them while they're hot. Yeah, they wanted to go sell some uh, some illicit materials. Well, the day of the big jump, his high school from Butte, which is just a, a hop, skip, and a jump to the north, the band comes down. They're there, and. Uh, Bill Rundle, a gentleman there, he says it was not a place for a butte high marching band to be that day. I have to say. Well, let's meet. There's just titties and drugs everywhere. <laughs> let's meet Mark Lysak, the tuba player in the band. He says right when we pulled in, there was a man and a woman naked, you know, having sex right under a tree. Yeah. And the the director of the band, Ken, says I saw all these people that were drinking and smoking pot, and they were pretty wild. And Mark says, well, we fired up the band, and it's like the whole place arose. Well, the crowd goes wild because they're playing patriotic band songs. Uh, Lysak says, the crowd just started mingling and just wanted to start playing our instruments. They tugged and they pulled, and the next thing we know, we're separated a good 100 yards away from the rest of the band. That's fucking hilarious. So we're fighting for our lives. <laughs> and at, at that point, they just stuffed my tuba full of everything. <laughs> Fucking cheese. Beer bottles. Popcorn. No. Man. Peanuts. Rocks. Asshole. He said I pulled a bra out of my tube. Oh no. I never played a note. And then of course they were also accompanied by the drill team. And the Ooh. drill team, their name were uh, was the Purple Bees. Yeah. And uh um, a good friend night. of uh, of Mark's, he says they tore her dress right off. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, these high, are high, high, school, school kids. high school kids. They didn't give a fuck back then. You ever see Porky's? Yeah, hey, of course. There you go. Well, the problem is the crowd, they were given access to beer tents. And the beer tents would close up, and that's when things got rowdy. So the crowd rolls... They give access to beer tents. Rolls the trucks over that are housing the beer. These are semi-trucks. They shoot the locks off. Wow. And then they just start passing out beer. Here's the thing. Yeah. Do you have to... Tip it over if you're gonna shoot the logs off and take the <laughs> beer a anyway. Very good point. I mean, really? That's a very good point. Well, then the next thing you know, um, they knock over the outhouses and light them on fire. Oh, and it's pure chaos at this point. Okay, well, it's starting to sound a lot more like Woodstock. Well, yeah, more like the '99 version. '99 version. So things get bad. Um, and Breaker says it got as bad as it could get without anybody dying. Uh, but I could hear, well, he says I could hear out in the darkness. I could hear women being raped. 
Oh, well, that's not good. And fights and gunshots. And finally, I just said, you know what? I'm going to call the National Guard. So he calls up the National Guard and he's like, sorry, dude, we're busy this weekend. <laughs> You're on your own. Yeah. Now, keep in mind. We got war games going on. There are 33,000 people on the edge of this cliff. It's that many people, huh? Yes, which were paid admissions. So they're also perilously close to the edge of the cliff, which is 600 street straight feet yeah, down yeah. to the bottom. Yeah. So Richard High, the local reporter, he says, I was concerned about is the people close to the edge of the canyon because you got to remember the ramps back. They shoot this off. If he crosses the horizon, they're not going to know if he's on the other side or not. They're going to rush to the edge of the cliff and everybody's going to fall off the cliff. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Yeah. It's pretty smart. And he goes, all they did was put up a standard cyclone fence. That's just a chain link fence. And he said, I mean, you could just push it and it would fall over. And he's like, this is going to be super dangerous. Then they show the aerial photos of these people. And they're, I mean, at the edge of the cliff. Wow. And I was shocked at how many people there were. I'd never gotten the backstory of how massive this is. I got to take a look at this one day. It's amazing. So uh, Facundo Campoy, he says, it's pretty ironic, though, how Dan solved the problem. Because he went down to the Hells Angels. And he said, I got 1000 bucks, And I want you guys in front of the edge of the cliff. And you've got to guard it and keep from people falling over it. Yeah. And the, the Hells Angels are like, are you bullshitting us? And he's like, I'm not going to bullshit the Hells Angels. Yeah. All right. So it's September 8th. Thousand what? Thousand dollars thousand per bucks. person? No, total. Oh. For how many people? They didn't say. Seems a little light. Eh, 1974 money. One guy's getting that money. <laughs> well, he's got to split it with his friends because he's got to have a crew. So I'll give you a beer. They were like, I'll let you go rape some woman in the woods. <laughs> we'll bring another truck back that you can unnecessarily tip over. Exactly. And shoot the locks what the off. fuck? Could have sold all that beer, dummy. So it's September 8th, 1974. And can you feel the tension in the air? It's palpable. Well, Shelley says on the morning of the jump, he looked at evil and he saw a very pensive, very reflective, quiet man. He says he did not look comfortable. I don't know why he would look comfortable climbing into a tin can to fly over a canyon. Can you explain something to me? Sure. Can you explain what the trick here is? Uh-huh. What is he? He just steps inside of the rocket, gets strapped no, to No, no. He sits into it. Sits into it, sitting down. Yep. Legs, okay. legs okay. down. And the rocket is on a on track. On a 45 degree. On a track. Yep. It's on a track. 45 degree. Then they're going to shoot his ass. Shoot his ass right over the edge. And then once he gets to the other side of the canyon, uh -huh. he deploys the parachute and uh -huh. lands the rocket cycle on the ground uh -huh. on the other side. Does that make sense? And they have not even done this correctly once yet. Correct. Okay. Correct. Got it. Even the, the fake test, which they, you know, rigged to the fall fake, short. Yeah, the fake test. But the even their private test didn't make it all the way over. And that one, the shoot came out too early. Correct. So there's a problem. Okay. We got a 15 mile an hour wind oh, no. blowing directly towards, you know. It's too high. It's a lot of wind. 15 mile an Every, hour. Everybody's too like, high. evil, you got a delay. Yeah. The problem is, you got 30,000 people out there. Yeah. Stoned, drunk, yeah. Yeah. raping, pillaging. Yeah, raping, yeah. <laughs> I mean, how long are you going to be able to keep those uh, Hells Angels satisfied hanging, you know, at the edge of the cliff? 
Well, to be fair, probably pretty long. Okay. I mean, well, if they're already raping and smoking and drinking. Evil says I can't back out now. Too much has been said. They'd call me a coward. I'm going, uh, and that's it. Oh boy. I got a team behind me with Mr. Truax. Just fill the thing up with the rocket fuel, and let's go. It, remember, it's just steam. Well, that's what I meant. And he says, I wish the wind wasn't blowing so hard, but I think we'll do it. And Shelly says, there's no braggadocio here. No bravado. Um, he said, let's pray. So they take the family into the trailer, and they pray. And uh, Robbie says, you know, my dad said, you know, I love you. And uh, he was like, God, take care of me. And at this point, Linda and the children are crying. Uh, he says, especially the little girl. Uh, and he's like, man, I think I might have gotten myself into something here and this guy's going to die. And he's not wearing like his own parachute where he can. No, like, oh boy. no, not that I saw the parachutes attached to the machine, okay. to, to the sky cycle. Yeah, okay. that's just a <laughs> not awful the best name. name. <laughs> yeah. So he starts his long walk up the ramp. <laughs> All right. The band's playing. And then uh, he gets introduced to the crowd and he says, I've never been afraid in my life of dying. I think that man was put here on earth to live and not just to exist. And today is the proudest day of my life. I'm living a dream that they thought could never have been done, but... It'll be done. And then Shelly says, instead of a roar, there was a silence, a very eerily silence that fell over the crowd Yeesh. because they were like, this guy's probably going to die. Yeah, <laughs> fuck. So Branker says evil got, they put him in a crane to lift him in. Um, and they drop him in the sky cycle, patriotic music in the background. And he says, I'm starting to get emotional. And Bill and Facundo, they take a couple last pictures of him. They said um, he did not start, or he didn't look the way that right. he started when this project began. He right. was all gray, and he had a real serious look on his face. Well, they got a countdown clock, Dave. Ten. Nine. Brinker says, you look at the audience, no one's even breathing. Uh, Five. Four. Announcer. Three. Two. One. Boom! Oh, shit. This thing just takes off oh, fuck. like one of those ground bloom flowers. Just zips. Zips out of there. And then it does an angle and it just d darts again. And you're like, Houston, we got a problem here. Oh, no. Because something obviously fails. Oh, it no. goes up and then it goes down. And then you see the shoot come out. And then it just starts going straight down. Now, because you don't have any perspective, right. you don't know if he's uh, where he's yeah. at, if he's in the middle of the thing, uh -huh. if he's like just barely above uh -huh. or what. So nobody can figure out what's going on. They got no depth perception and everybody's taking camera, taking pictures. You got people in helicopters and they're like, uh, he's out of the horizon line. I can't see him anymore. Oh, shoot. he just missed the rocks. And then, of course, the stampede of people that they were afraid about. That's what happens. Yeah. Everybody runs to the edge. 500 people go off the cliff. And no. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, oh. I was going to say, <laughs> I've never heard of this. Come on. <laughs> anyway. No. <the> breaker. <laughs> <laughs> Breaker says, oh I saw bikers literally plucking people out of the sky. It was right out of a movie. 
So the Hell's Angels did their job. What do you mean? Oh, 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 like, like the fence, they're behind the fence. Yeah, and pe- yeah, yeah. The fence went down. No. And then they're at the last line of defense. And he said, I'm seeing the Hell's Angels grabbing people. Oh, that's still pretty fucking crazy. Well, then we hear a final report and it says Robert Craig Knievel appears to have landed in the middle of the Snake River. Uh, apparently evil tried to get out because you could see this in the footage. He's going straight down and he's trying to get out of the the, the sky cycle, okay. but he can't. So then people think he's dead and then they're like, well, he either crashed or he's drowning. Right. So they're coming up to the edge. Linda and the boys have no idea what's going on. Robbie Jr., he, he's crying. He's screaming. Right. Well, Shelly gets into his helicopter he gets uh, out to the canyon, and then he says, and there from the muddy banks at the side of the river was evil waving. Oh, my and God. And I said, thank God that son of a bitch is alive. That's hilarious. And then he gets in a boat, and he starts waving to everybody. They pick him up in a helicopter. They bring him up to the top of the canyon. They touch down, and immediately he's swarmed by fans. And he's bleeding all over his face. Yeah, I'm sure. And he says, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. I just... I can't say I'll have to let Bob and the fellas examine it. Well, Bob Truax, chief engineer, they interview him and they say, Bob, what happened? He said, well, right here is the cover to the parachute canister. And it obviously came loose much too soon, right on the pad. Now they show slow motion footage of this thing. When it takes off, the parachute is deployed immediately. Oh no. So people are kind of like, dude, what's going on? And we see evil meeting with his team and they say, dude, you didn't do anything wrong. Uh, the shoot deployed earlier. Wasn't your fault. Well, uh, Facundo Campoy, he says it was clear to me or to us that it was a mechanical failure, but there was another story being banded about back at the press tent that perhaps evil had released the shoot early. Well, Branker, he says that he told people that's what happened. Uh, He says, when I went to the press tent after the jump, the press was asking me to come and make a statement. I told the press that his hand came off the bar. I really like that rocket crew. They're just a bunch of great guys. And I knew that the MO of how he treated people, that nothing was ever his fault. Mm -hmm. I told people that's what happened. And if by chance that it took a little bit of pressure off the rocket team, then so be it. Uh So next day we have a big newspaper headline. And it reads, is Evil Knievel a hero or a phony? Oh. Yeah. So Camp Hoy said it got out that it was Evil's fault. Well, we hear another reporter. He says, but the nagging question remains, was this the legitimate attempt of a brave man or was it the great ripoff of 1974? Wow. Well, what the- happened in 74? Um, we'll get to that. <laughs> okay. Because it does line up. Uh, the press tears him apart. So, um, you know, Shelley says they think that him, along with me, we perpetrated a massive fraud. Another reporter, hero or hustler, or for Americans, are those the same thing? Well, let's not forget who's in office at this time. Well, Tricky Dick. Yeah. Well, he misses out on more press than he probably should have gotten because the next day, I shouldn't say Nixon was in office, he was out, uh, Ford grants him the full uh, unconditional pardon. And that's what was the major headline uh. the very next day. So 
you know um it was <laughs> so kind of lame yeah it is kind of lame uh, but then he gets depressed and he goes back to butte for a while and um just tried it again yeah, <laughs> kind of lays low for a little bit mm -hmm. and then he decides you know what i'm going off to jolly old england okay you know, and uh, Rose says, well, yeah, because people over there hadn't heard the old Teddy Roosevelt speech. Yeah. Be good to your parents. Wear a helmet. Right. Um, reporter, evil is alive, well, and back in action in famed old Wembley Stadium, <laughs> London, England, for a jump that will be made over 13 London buses. Oh. Uh, so when he gets over there, he only sells 3,000 uh, seats. Oh, no. To the 100,000 seat wow. stadium. Yeah, even I know 3,000 is nothing there. Yeah, and he's got to start filling it up. So, you know, he starts making the rounds. And uh, shows up at a press conference and says, I'm so glad to be here in England where we came uh, and won the war for you. <laughs> <laughs> the writers are Good like, job. oh, shit. <laughs> but to his credit, Rose said he knew his job, which is the get butts in the seats. And they drove around London making friends. And whatever <laughs> he did worked because 80,000 people yeah, showed up baby. to watch this next now I wonder, bus job. I wonder, what's, what's the break-even point for you? If you have to, like, how many tickets do you think you have to sell? Break even on something like, like that? Start making a little bit of cash. Make it worth your well, while. Well, here's the thing. If they do it Tickies. like comedy and he's big enough, he gets the entire gate and they get the concessions. Wow. 80-20 worst on the split, I'm guessing. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, break even is a cancellation. is probably 4,000 seats, I guess. 5,000. <laughs> yeah. He'll fucking jump for 12 people. <laughs> <laughs> Just like I do a set for 12 people. 12, anyway, 12 people would be a good day. It's May 26, 1975. Frank Gifford's on the scene. Okay. Good old Frankie Giff. Yep. He says, I walked into the arena of Wembley where the buses were lined up, and he said, I can't do it. Ah, oh, pussy. Yep. He said, what do you mean? He's got the yips. He does have the yips. <laughs> 13, bu 13 buses. 13 you can't do buses. 13 motherfucking buses. Well, Frank goes up to him and says, just pull a few buses out there. Like anybody's, <laughs> anybody's going to notice. They ain't counting. Yeah. Like it could be, it doesn't matter Trick if it's angles. 13 or three at this point. It doesn't matter. It's just the, it's, you know, when you got the yips, you got the yips. It doesn't matter if it's one foot or 10 feet. He says he went over to the producer and said, Doug, evil can't do it. Well, Doug says he was really convinced that he uh, couldn't do it. So Gifford says he, he went over and talked to Evil to try and talk him out of it. and uh, To not, talk him out of yeah, not going? Yeah, because he's worried about him. I think they've become friends at this point. He's covered a bunch of these things. Uh, he knocked down the door, and uh, Evil said, oh, no, I'll give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it a go. I think this is him just playing it up. Is the it? Whole yeah, yeah. Time. He's hamming it up. Yeah. It's like he's basically he's basically the uh, you know like um get on on get, get up off on your feet and then uh, what is the Brown. Brown? Oh, James Brown. James Brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He's James Brown. Yeah, he's James Browning it. <laughs> okay. So we see evil roll out into Wembley Stadium, donning an all blue jumpsuit. Crowd's going nuts. Yeah. Announcer, here's evil. <laughs> no Union evil. Jack for him. No, no. Uh, Gifford, he's doing the play by play. He's like, one, one has to wonder after the Snake River. One has to wonder why you continue. Well, I sometimes think that maybe I should quit. 
But you always want to keep going, and I'm kind of proud of that red, white, and blue number one I wear on my shoulder. And I want to keep it on there. He used to be on his back, now it's on his shoulder. <laughs> and he said, Frank, I'm glad you're here today. You know, I've never had an accident when you're around. And then Gifford, in an aside, says, he told me earlier that outside of the jump at Caesar's Palace, where he was severely injured, that this will probably be the most difficult jump he has ever made. <laughs> Is that right? And then he drives, you know, the, the bike up to the top of the ramp, surveys, does a little rev. <laughs> <laughs> Gifford's calling out, you know, there he goes, there he goes. And then he disappears. And then all of a sudden, underneath the stadium... <laughs> No, it was up high, actually. They, had, they built one of those ramps that drop, it drops down. Into uh. it. it wasn't like the other ones I'd seen. Well, he just shoots down this thing, and he's flying. And he takes off and gets massive air. Okay. Like, at one point, you're like, he's too high. Wow. Uh, they didn't do this thing right. And then he lands just a hair short what? on his front tire. No. Tumble City, buddy. No, really? <laughs> oh, it's a rough one. Come on. Yes. And the bike is tumbling with him. This one I'm pretty sure I've seen also. And, and he's going with it. Yeah. And he finally crashes. And then the bike crashes on, on top, top of, of him. him. Yeah, I've seen this one. Yeah. That's when he breaks all kinds of shit, right? Gifford's like, he's hurt. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, no. And then he's calling. He's like, I see John Hood down there as chief mechanic. And Hood says, oh, he's definitely going to be hurt on this one. <laughs> I kneeled down. I said, are you okay? I got his helmet off. And he said, help me up. I want the microphone. Oh, I want to stand up and walk. God. And he wants to. Folks, he's going to talk. <laughs> <laughs> he takes the mic. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm fucking do it. <laughs> fucking change. <laughs> we can all change. It's not Rocky okay, Four. Okay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of this wonderful country, I've got to tell you that you are the last people in the world that will ever see me jump because uh, I will never jump again. I am through. Wow. Uh, I got the chills right there, too. Well, you want to hear for the, uh, the bone count? Uh, can I guess? Go ahead. 79. No. Okay. Hands broken. Both hands. Just his hand. Oh, okay. Back. Uh, pelvis rebroken. Rebroke. Not a big account, but you know, some vital parts. Yeah. Back's pretty bad. Well, Doug's Doug heads home because he's got to edit all. And this plus, footage. plus when they say broken back, you know it's broken in like three. Places. Oh yeah, there's it's like not, 58 places you could break your back. It's not just like, <laughs> yeah, your back's just gonna be <laughs> shitty from now on. It's just broken, dude. Well, Shattered back, I think, is a better. Doug goes home to edit because he's got this footage. He's got to air it, you know, for ABC Wild World of Sports. And uh, he gets a call from Evil. And Evil says, Doug, you can't air the quote. Yeah. He says, what do you mean, Evil? He says, you cannot use that quote. I said I would never jump again. And I said, well, why? And he goes, because I may jump again. <laughs> but I mean, did the papers capture it all anyway? I guess not. Okay. Things moved slower back yeah, then. Yeah, a lot slower. You're right. So months later, uh, Evil says, when the jump was over in London, I said that I never jump again. Well, that was the pain in my body overpowering the brains that I'm supposed to have in my head. I will jump again, but 13 is an unlucky number. It's this true. time I'm going to do 14 buses. <laughs> so 
Dude, why don't you go back to 12, dude? <laughs> I mean, 12 you would have made, man. Evil. You can't do it and say you're the best in the world and then fall off and get up and say, I quit. Not if you're an evil Knievel, you can't. Yeah. <clears throat> Dave? Just take a couple buses off, they said. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Like all the people are in the audience and you, and you just see a, a bus driver coming in <laughs> and one of those red double-deckers yeah, yeah, yeah. and be like, my bad. <laughs> I know we advertise 14, <laughs> but I got to go on the sixth route right yeah. now because I got a customer yeah, yeah, yeah. of old ladies that have to make it to the yeah, market. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. All right, let's head out to the Kings Island Entertainment Center in Kings Mills, Ohio, October 25th, 1975. Okay. How old was I, Dave? <laughs> How old were you? Mm -hmm. One year old. I was 13 days old. Okay. The Kings Island Family Center Entertainment, located just outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, is jam-packed with people who have come to watch Evil Knievel out of retirement and here he comes right now, Robert Craig Evil Knievel. Well, Knoxville says a lot was riding on this jump. It was a different evil. I mean, he actually did practice jumps. Frank, I'm going to go. I'm going to go, Frank. There's no wind going to stop me, Frank. Not even a hurricane. Well, Sullivan says it's a very gutsy jump. The doctors told him, just don't ever do that again. You know, <laughs> like one little slip. Yeah. You're going to be paralyzed, dude. Yeah. Well, evil does his ride up to the edge of the jump, surveys the buses and slowly backs down in reverse. Right. Everything is a go. And the total concentration now is getting that bike off the approach and ramp and onto the landing ramp. And he's not hesitating. He will go. Well, he takes off, comes around a corner just drops the hammer. Yeah. And boom, he's airborne. Mm -hmm. And barely, barely just makes it. Sticks wow. the landing, but then you see the bike kind of like shimmy. Yeah. And you hear this massive applause. And he's got to go around the track just right, to get right. back up to meet with Frank at the top of the ramp. And the yeah. first thing he says is, busted the motorcycle right in half, Frank. Wow. And he goes, wow, it really came apart, didn't it? And he goes, I hit it hard. But this motorcycle is the finest machine in the world. As far as I'm concerned, I broke it in half, but it held me up. And all I can say is thanks to number one. Thanks to Harley Davidson. You've been good to me through the years. And I'd like to tell you all something, though, that as far as I'm concerned, today I have jumped far enough. Today I'm going to walk away from here with you, and I feel <laughs> that's being professional. That's what oh, I'm going to do. Yeah. Well, well here's, here's something. Mm -hmm. I'm... I was born in 86. Yep. I still remember him jumping. I remember him jumping in 90-something <laughs> back in Vegas, dude. I remember watching it. All the same shit that you did. Goes up to the edge. Yeah. So even I know it's fucking bullshit. Well. This is like, I'm sorry, real very quick. This is like back in the day when you would yeah. go to like a wrestling. Yeah. Like you would go to like a Saturday wrestling event. And then you'd go and watch Raw on Monday. And you'd be like, well, that guy didn't win the championship on Saturday. I just watched Bret Hart win it. Yeah. So this is kind of like what this is turning into sort of well king's island was the longest jump of his career ah biggest television audience he ever had and it was the highest rated episode of wild world of wide world of sports ever what's the final number uh they didn't say he did as you said 
uh, continue jumping after that. Yep. But it was never this big. Right. Uh, Knoxville refers to it as uh, the gunfighter putting away his pistols. Right, right, right. Uh, well, next we see a young boy from the 70s riding on a vintage white evil Knievel bike, and he's wearing a cape, and he's standing on the seat doing tricks in the driveway. And Knoxville says, if you were on a bike and you do stupid shit, but you would do stupid shit in the name of evil, evil Knievel. It's like yep. the Kobe, and you shoot the yeah. whatever into the thing. Um, like, yeah. Mom, evil Knievel. That's just why kids rode bikes around, you know? Uh, I thought the whole purpose of bikes was to hit things and fly off them. A gentleman uh, who's interviewed. And um, then they, they interview a guy named Seth Enslow, who's a professional jumper. And right. it says, you know, we do the classic thing where we'd line up the neighbor kids and see who could jump over more neighbors without landing on them. Yep. I remember doing stuff like this. Stupid shit, yep. We just dreamed of having a motor between our legs. Uh, Travis Pastrana gets some airtime here, mm-hmm. and he says, I just love going down steps and crashing all the time. Uh, I'm just going to be like Evil Knievel, just not as good. Yeah. Well, in a vintage uh, interview with uh, Evil, he says, there's no way that a youngster is not going to want to try to do what his hero does. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with a kid wanting to be an Evil Knievel any more than he'd want to be an O.J. Simpson. Or Frank Gifford, <laughs> or be any kind okay. of professional athlete. Yeah, bad, <laughs> bad first take. That's fine, but we. Yeah. This is OJ in the this the eighties. This is eighties OJ. He's talking about. Um. Well, then they they show all these interviews. Two thousand yard bills, OJ. Yes. Not two not, decapitations. <laughs> not missing a Ron Goldman yes. and a, yes. Nicole OJ. Um. They hmm, drown a bitch. I never <laughs> thought of that. Okay, sorry. They show all these children being interviewed, and they're like, yeah, he's, he's my hero. He's one of the greatest heroes. And Robbie says he was a hero to so many kids, but his own son was. Yeah, I know. It's pretty fucked up. Well, you got to remember, Robbie had a professional career of his own. Massive career. I remember. Um, Robbie you know, Knievel, sure. Yeah. I mean, he started performing at a very young age with his dad. And, you know, he started stealing the show. Uh, at His some dad's events. like, all right, you're out of here. Well, here's the thing. It's like they show him on Larry King, the, both uh, Evil and Robbie. And that's where Robbie announces he's going to recreate the Caesars jump. And he did. Oh, and he landed it. And as soon as he did it, he said, that was for you, Maybe Dad. that's what I watched instead. Yeah, Robbie maybe, King Evil. Maybe. Well, Robbie went on to break all his dad's records. Okay, but then when was, what year was Evil's last jump? Uh, that big one that they were just talking no, about. No, no, his like actual last jump. They don't get into that. Okay, but the King's but cause, Island. Because I could remember, I because I could have sworn in the nineties he had a jump at least evil, but maybe it was. Oh Robbie. no, 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 no! It oh. had to have been Robbie. Then okay, yeah. that makes a lot more sense. I then. mean, the King's Island jump was seventy five. Okay, so yeah, but you know they make a they do differentiate the fact that Robbie. Broke all his dad's records. That's what I watched, and it was Robbie Knievel breaking the the Caesars. Right, but he's doing it on a much lighter bike. Sure, he wasn't doing it on the heavy bike. No, and it was a bike that was designed for jumping. You know, Knievel was just on a Harley. You know, right. they didn't have all these advanced, yeah. you know. All the shacks. Yeah. All those pretty all shacks stuff. you guys got. Yep. Well, after Evil quit jumping, he still wanted to be in, you know, the limelight. Sure. Had to find other Hollywood vehicles to attach himself. Uh, we see him uh, make an appearance on the Sonny and Cher show. And then he decided to star in himself as a movie, as a movie, in a movie called okay. Viva Knievel. Viva Knievel. Um, this one's pretty shitty, too. I bet. 
Um, in fact, we see some of his acting. It's god awful. Uh, it bombed. Uh, interestingly enough, it was one of Gene Kelly's last roles. Let's watch it. Uh, we could. <laughs> uh, let's catch up with promoter Shelly Saltman. Okay. So before Shelly made the production with the Snake River Canyon job, he made a deal with uh, Evil that he could write a book, uh, a legacy people that would read about uh, after the promotion of the Snake River Canyon. And they were 50-50 partners. And Evil said to him, Shelly, don't forget, just tell the truth. So with permission, Shelly carried around an audio cassette recorder during the Evil Knievel tour. Well, Shelly plays a few choice quotes and says, you guys can form your own opinion. So we hear Evil, I can write little chicken shit piss ants off like him in a fucking day. Uh, the next one. The only thing that makes me sad is when his wife begged me to fuck her and I didn't do it. That's right. But I will someday. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Hell yeah. The motion picture industry ought to throw him off the top of 9,000 sunset. He don't belong on this face of earth. Believe me, if God ever gives that world an enema, he'll stick the tube in his ass to start it. <laughs> well, 9,000 9, sunset. What is that? Uh, Netflix? Uh, I don't know who's there right now. Um, well, Shelly says, I wrote the book. I kept a lot of things out, stuff I would never write about. Because remember, when the book's coming out, I'm still protecting his image. Right. Evil's attorney checked everything, told me we had Evil's approval in writing, and the book was published. Nice. Well, we see the book. It's titled Evil Knievel on Tour. The inside stuff on the high-living daredevil hero. No PG-rated movie could ever show. Oh, yeah. Well, let's meet a man named Joe Little. Joe says, I'm at Evil's compound one day, and he throws me this book, and he says, here, keep this. It's going to be worth some money someday. Yeah. I open it up, and there's all these footnotes, and it says, this is X-rated, fake, lies. This is a lie, not accurate. Lies, lies. Well, Donnie Branker. Oh, he says, he's reading. Oh, oh. No, he said, I read the book. Yeah, he's and, reading Knievel's notes? Yeah. Yeah. And footnotes but, like his notes. Yeah, but Donnie says, uh, I read the book a couple times. Nothing bad in it. Nothing that wasn't very factual. <laughs> well, Linda says, um, I think that Shelly, what we wrote was accurate. Yeah. Well, Shelly says, I'm on the 20th Century Fox lot one day when all of a sudden I see evil with a big smile coming at me, loping along. Okay. And I was actually glad to see him. The book was out, and I was like, maybe I could even talk him to do some promotion for the book. Right. I said, hey, evil. And all of a sudden, my hands, they were held behind my back. They tell me there was two men. I didn't know them. I may have been, I don't know. There, I, all of, there was an aluminum baseball bat. Oh, I hear, shit. I'm going to kill you, you son of a bitch. Holy. I did everything I could to defend myself, and I remember putting my hand up. I said, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I'm fighting for my life. And he's wailing on me, and I passed out. Reporter. Knievel came to court, accompanied by his wife, Linda, and his attorney. The 38-year-old daredevil faces charges of felony assault with a baseball bat attack. Wow. On television executive Shelly Saltman. That's, uh, that's attempted murder, I think. Yeah. Well... Uh, it was a very interesting hour at Division 91, according to the reporter, uh, which Evil Knievel fired his attorney and entered a plea of guilty. 
So he fires his attorneys and then says to the judge, judge, I did it and I do it again. Do what you will with me. So in an interview, he says, if I did not think there was a much stronger judge someday that I will stand before called God, then the judge I stood before in the courtroom in Santa Monica, California, I would have killed that lousy little bastard. Yeah. I broke his arms with a baseball bat, and oh, I think that's just fuck. what he deserved. Eee. I guarantee you one thing. He doesn't write anything else about me. Oh, no. Yep. So What a stud. He gets jail. Um for beating his former press agent with a baseball bat. Hopefully a pretty good uh, lawsuit, too. Yep. Uh, we'll get to that. Uh, the reporter says, the 39-year-old motorcycle daredevil uh, that while as a judge, he found Knievel's admission of guilt refreshing. At the same time, he said, long ago, we abandoned frontier justice in California. He was sentenced to six months in jail and three years probation. Yes. Judge Evil says he's a good judge. He's a fair judge. Well, he gets work release. So he only has to be in jail at night. So we'd have a chauffeur pick him up every morning and take him to a bar. Nice. <laughs> so <laughs> he hires a dozen limousines to transport all of his other fellow work release inmates to their jobs. Wow. So the inmates are thrilled. They're getting shuttled to their shit jobs. In yeah. limos every day. Well, cool. the judge gets pissed. Why? And revokes evil's work release. What privileges. the fuck? That's Why? Just, back then, they didn't want work releasers going to work in limos. What a pussy! What the fuck? I hate that. <laughs> well, here's where it gets, here's where it really hurts. Republicans. Um, the ideal toy company. They cut him. Uh, oh yeah. They have a meeting. They say, you know, we don't sell toys of murderers or gangsters or stuff like that. Yeah. So we're not going to sell toys with the baseball bat bandit. Yeah. To kids. So plus at this point, you could probably like use his likeness and everybody can get away with it. Well, it's really 10 minutes of his life that just canceled all of his money. Yeah. Uh, because he was no the longer jumping. Canceling. Yeah. Uh, so on the auction block go the Ferraris, the jets, everything. Um, the house got repossessed cause he didn't pay the taxes. Um, they'd have garage sales every now and then and just take things out and sell them. Yeah. Um, everything Shelly says it perfectly. He said the arc of the sky cycle is like what happened to his career. He was yeah. at the pinnacle <laughs> and then he destroyed his entire life. Right. So can evil just drops out of, uh, site and starts playing golf withdraws from public life At this point he meets his second wife crystal knievel hmm. she says when i met him he was a bit of a at a low point uh i mean he was kind of just getting by hustling golf might make a couple hundred here maybe a couple hundred there uh he lived day to day at that time he didn't uh keep uh the fact that he was married a secret or anything and uh, in two weeks, I packed up uh, what I wanted to take with me, and we went on the road. Uh, so Linda says, and um, I just thought at this point, you know, after 38 years of someone telling you what to do, I just didn't like him. I yeah. didn't like him. Well, his health's declining at this point. He had a hip replacement, uh, a pelvis reconstruction, <laughs> a spinal fusion. He got a liver transplant. Uh, seven or eight bouts of staph infection. That's nasty Ugh. when you get that. And yeah. then he got hepatitis C. Yeah, that means a lot of him not taking care of himself. Or just, yeah, the infection's getting out yeah. of control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the hep C 
was from blood transfusions. Ugh. Um, he said, the doctors told me five years ago I didn't have five years to live. I'm taking it one day at a time. Well, this is when they kick in the classic jackass tone. If you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. You know that old classic? Yeah. Yeah. So then they're going to merge the new generation. So we see Knoxville again. And we see Pastrana and these contemporaries that are overtaking, you know, uh, the scene. And just kind of how we see that the X Games as a whole was basically born out of what evil started. Sure. You know, whether it's skateboarding or, you know, big surfing or all that Big stuff. air. Big air. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, we actually see Knoxville decided, I didn't know about this, he did a, a tribute to uh, evil where he was going to do a backflip on a motorcycle on a dirt bike and he built the ramp so knoxville goes up to do the backflip but the oh, bike yeah. stalls yeah and, and it, it fucking, lands on top of yeah, him he fucking he breaks his back also no he broke his urethra urethra they oh, that, show the oh, bloody that's, pants that's when he broke the urethra Ugh. oh so, so you know what he has to do now right he has to stick a catheter in there every like he has to stick a like a a stirring thing into his into his urethra to open up and break up all the cartilage every single morning now. He, Johnny Knoxville has mm-hmm. to, but he doesn't have to piss in a bag. No, he doesn't have to piss in the bag. He, he has just, to punch himself in the nuts. He has to stick that thing into his dick. Uh-huh. And Through break, the pee hole? Yep. No and, way. I swear to God, and break up the cartilage every single morning. Before he pees, he's got to put... A, uh, a thing, not a, I kept saying catheter, but it's like a big, long, like oh, stirring stick. That cannot feel I good. I feel it right now. I can't. Here's my it. question: Is it worth uh, it? Would you? Uh, would you take uh, all uh, of the Johnny Knoxville success and <laughs> fun and fame and fortune, knowing that every day you have to put a stick in your pee hole yeah. just to break cartilage to pee? Would you do it? Knoxville's. I wonder what if Knoxville's worth over a hundred mil. Then yes, <laughs> you would take the peace stick off. <laughs> yes, I wouldn't do it over for over a hundred mil. Yes, yeah, I wouldn't even do it for, for a dime a, less than a hundred million. No, uh, exactly. That's the thing. Hundred millions, you're cut off to fucking. Yeah, it's a hard line. <laughs> Look, here's my question: You're getting ready to have sex with a girl, right? Yeah. You're like, hey, uh, I gotta pee real quick. Yeah. Um, I gotta uh, stir up the tank. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's the rest of your life, uh, man. Oh my god. That stirring, you're putting a dipstick in your dipstick oh every day. I don't believe this is true. Where did you it's hear that? It's true. Now, uh, it could be wrong in the sense that, like, he doesn't have to do it every single day. Right. But he, the dude had to do it, like, for more than months I every single day. I bet it was just day. during the rehab process. I, I, think, I think he has to do it, so, like, almost every morning. Guys, to break if you're up the out there, you're I listening, swear. And you, no, please yeah. let us know. <laughs> and and Johnny, details. if you're listening, we feel awful for you if yeah. that is the case. He's listening. Okay. Um, so basically we basically bookend you know with all of that amazing knowledge uh that these younger performers have obtained from evil and created their own careers with so i thought that was pretty cool um so kelly says you know uh his dad kind of felt like the older statesman um to these ex-gamers we do see that he made an appearance with some of these guys on stage uh it was really cool uh, he comes out on stage and, you know, has a nice little speech with everybody. And that was pretty neat. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, what killed him in the end or kicked his ass was uh, lung disease. 
<laughs> and I couldn't, I didn't see him smoke at all in this. So I don't know if it was because of that. I don't know. Um, but Cousin Pat says, if you'd asked him, would you rather have lived this long uh, and be sick or would you have died at the end of the ramp? I think he would have chosen at the end of the ramp. Right. Uh, he had a yeah. lot. Of, yeah. 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 A lot of trouble breathing at the end of his life. Um, but Crystal says he was preparing for the end on every level. And right. he, this is when he started making amends to a lot of people. Mm. Uh, and he felt that was very important. Uh, and he felt very ashamed. Um, so his daughter, he admitted to his daughter, he said, I was sick. He said, I was a sick person with women. It was so wrong what I did. And she said, Dad, it's so good to hear you say that. Um, it, Doxville has an interesting line. He says, amends with people at the end. He did that, and that's great. But it's kind of tough to put the toothpaste back in the tube at that point because he caused so much hurt. Um, yeah. Linda says, the only time I ever heard him say I'm sorry was pretty much on his deathbed. He just said, I'm sorry. Um <laughs> but he did say I mean this is like the this is like the mindset of guys like that. It's kind of I mean, how it it's goes. It's one of those things, dude. It's fucking like way she goes. I don't think we know how what it's like to be that famous. He was just massively famous. It seems like he was an asshole even before he was famous though. Well, he was a thief for sure and yeah. a con man who yeah. <laughs> became famous. That's why it's hard to But but he he genuinely cared. There was a story in here where he had gone off a jump and he was fine, but like a part of a bike or something hit a cameraman he needed to go to the hospital and he was so concerned about this guy do you know what i mean i hear yeah i think he had i think he i think he's just a tragic figure very shakespearean he's a little pissed that it was a cameraman yeah i just less cameras on me anyway Eh, um who knows (sighs) robbie says what my dad did no one's ever gonna do but there's a little evil in all of us um saltman says in fairness to him they should not remember that evil, the evil that evil did. Instead, he should be remembered for the good things he did. This is the guy that got beat up by a baseball <laughs> bat. Yeah, I mean that's it's uh, yeah testament to uh, his. Yeah, um, Knoxville says life's pretty tough. Life can be pretty tough, and you need to have your heroes, man. Yeah. Well, the last shot is a majestic shot of the Snake River Canyon. Cool. And uh, somebody. Bob Rundle says, he said he used to always say to me, the canyon has not moved one inch, <laughs> and I do not see a big, long line of daredevils waiting to jump it. It's true. And that's how it ends. It's actually not true, and I will tell you why in a Somebody second. tried to actually do it? <laughs> it's been done. Oh, shit. With yeah. what? <laughs> I'll get there. Snake. Um, this, for me, is a very fun watch. Yeah. Um you know, it was just so, how was many dockings were given it. I it's a three for sure. Three, okay, three for sure. Really fun dock, and it was well told. It's you know we get inside the man, which is always important. We 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 find out what what he usually is. we're inside the woman. He's a complicated character. That's why yeah. I say he's very Shakespearean in that way. Sure, um, sure, sure. A couple of notes. Um, he attempted more than 75 ramp-to-ramp motorcycle jumps in his career, inducted into the Motorcycle Hall of Fame in 1999. He did pass away uh, of pulmonary disease in Florida uh, in 2007 at the age of 69. All right. He made it pretty good. Um, he was a minor, um, but uh, he was fired 
when the earth mover he was using, he tried to do a motorcycle type type wheelie on it. And it actually drove into Butte's main power line, leaving the city without electricity. So oh, he lost me. his job. This well, is he tried to like go into reverse <laughs> and then put it into. <laughs> it's interesting. They didn't note that he was in the service because he was in the army in the fifties and he became a pole vaulter while he was in the army. Huh? Uh, That's interesting why they yeah, didn't answer it. I was yeah. kind of... Uh, maybe they don't really have any footage, maybe. Um, he also... There's uh, the day of the famous Caesars job. He only had 100 bucks left. He put it on blackjack, which he lost. Stopped by the bar. <laughs> had a shot of wild turkey. Well, I guess he had a little extra if he got a shot of wild turkey. All right. And then went straight out and did the jump. Yeah. So there's your answer. You got it on the layaway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Regarding insurance, I thought this was interesting. In 71, he was in an interview with Dick Cavett, and Knievel stated that he was uninsurable following the Caesars crash. That's why you got to start your own insurance company. He said, Lloyd's of London has rejected me 37 times. Uh, When he did the King's Island thing, the 14 buses, uh, they required one day, one million liability. Uh, Lloyd's of London offered liability for 17.5, and Knievel, uh, Knievel paid... 2500 to a U.S.-based insurance company. Cool. So he was originally inspired to do the Snake River Canyon over flying. He was back, headed back to Utah, and he looked out the window, and he saw the Snake River Canyon uh, just east of Twin Falls. Yeah. Uh, he did lease 300 acres uh, for $35,000 to stage the job. That's a lot of money back then. Sure. Um, you can find the historic XR750, now part of collection uh, in the Smithsonian National Museum of American History. Uh, that motorcycle weighs about 140 kilograms or roughly 300 pounds. Um, and in 1999, his son Robbie jumped a portion of the Grand Canyon owned by the um, Hulapi Indian Reservation. Yeah, I vaguely remember that also. Well, stuntman Eddie Braun also announced he was working with Kelly and Robert Truax on to recreate the jump using a replica of the SkyCycle X2. Braun's jump took place on September 16, 2016, and was completely successful. Cool. So wow, that was, pretty recently. That was news to me. Um, did you know that he jumped over sharks? Well, it, this is what I was going to bring up earlier, yeah. was that it also inspired... The worst episode Correct. of Happy Days. Correct. Which also coined a phrase by someone on the Howard Stern show's Harold. Was that H- where? Something Hines, which oh, was. Oh, Cheryl Hines? Not Cheryl Hines, something Hines. So they took Hit Jump the, the Hines, Shark yeah, they call- from the Stern show from Happy Days. Apparently, from- a- no, no. Apparently the term Jump the Shark. Yeah. Referring to a show that jumped the shark. Yeah. Was was a Howard Stern guy that something that guy his last name is Hines. So it all goes back to uh, evil, evil Knievel. jumping sharks. Yeah, jumping the shark. Yeah. Well, that was so he actually did jump a shark, Shark yep. Tank. Yep. However, during rehearsal, Knievel lost control of the motorcycle and crashed into a cameraman. This is the cameraman. Wow. Uh, he broke both arms, but he was more distraught over um, what he claimed was a permanent eye injury to oh, cameraman yeah, Thomas it's pretty Green. fucked up. And he's a cameraman, so he can't even... Yeah. <laughs> back then, you lost your job. But yeah, I mean, the, the story basically is that the Fonz jumps yeah. a shark, and that's widely known as A, the worst episode of Happy Days ever, and yep. B, every episode subsequently was terrible. Yep. And so like now, 
Now in our nomenclature, when something goes to shit, shit, it jumps the shark. When they've ran out of ideas, it goes to shit. Thank evil, keep it evil. I can't. I'm Jay Thank you. Okay. Sounds like you're coming from London. Thank <laughs> you. Um, let's talk about the toys. Between 1972 and 77, Ideal Toy Company released a series of Evil Knievel yeah. related merchandise. They made bank. They sold more than $125 million worth. Oh, oh, okay. $125 million. I thought you were going to say $125 million. No, but I mean, $125 million? What do you. Let's say he's getting. 25% of that. I mean, you know, you're money. talking $30 million back then. Yep, 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 yep. Um, well, Saltman, after he got Stick, beat up. I'm sticking a stir and sticking to my dick for that. After Saltman got beat up, he was awarded a $13 million judgment against Knievel nice. in the civil court. Nice. Mm-hmm. Payday. Never received a dime. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> yep. Oh. So after. Um, Crystal married Evil. Um, they got divorced two years later. She got a restraining order against him, um, but they worked out their differences and lived together until his death. Oh, okay. Um, and he left his entire estate to Crystal. Okay. So which that's is like that's, 18 cents. So that's... <laughs> that's like well, have my debts. Hey, can you pay Shelly $13 million for me? Well, that's his... Uh, that's his... Their, that's their differences, yeah. is that he gets his... He gets to sell her his name, I guess. Probably. Um, on April 1st, 2007, uh, Knievel appeared on Robert H. Scholler's television program, Hour of Power, and announced he believed in Jesus Christ for the first time. Uh, he was baptized at a televised congregation. Um, but, can, I bet that one wasn't pay-per-view. Well, Knievel's televised testimony triggered mass baptisms. <laughs> at the Crystal Cathedral. It's fucking hilarious. Uh, he was buried in Butte, Montana, uh, following a 7,500-seat funeral presided over um, Robert H. Schuler with actor Matthew McConaughey giving the eulogy. Interesting. Had fireworks before. And uh, if you want to see the Evil Knievel Museum, it is located in Topeka, Kansas. Yep. Uh, you can see pretty much all I'm of this by stuff. It. Oh, you have? Uh-huh. I'd love to check that out. And, it's uh, as you one would think. Yeah. It's just a warehouse with shit inside of it. Just an interesting life. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Fun episode, fun life. Fun. It was fun for me to talk to um, you know, family members about this and get more history about the job. Yeah. Because it was always my dad would always say he remembered uh it was a massive letdown and that evil left town with not a bar bill paid. So okay, well, yeah, <laughs> you know, I guess that's just kind of how it's these how things go. Do, yeah. Well, that's it for this week, guys. Uh, we want to thank you for joining us. And as always, if you want to help us out, please leave us a five star review on Apple Pod or Spotify. And if you want to join our growing community in the Discord, um, you can always find that Discord link in our YouTube or excuse me, our uh, Twitter and our Instagram bios. And if you can't find it. DM me directly because I'll be glad to help you or Dave will as well because we care around here. That's it. Dave, did you have fun? I had a great time. This is a great episode, Chris. Me too. And I can't wait to do it again next week. Um, hopefully, I'm hearing whispers that Pornhub is dropping yep. a new documentary. So if we have time, you might be hearing something pretty spicy from us next uh-huh. week. That's it. We are over and we are out. <laughs>